World's Finest Podcast, Episode 78. host, James Doe, and with me as always is Michael David Sims. Hello, how are you, sir? Doing fine, a little tired, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, for the first time in a long, long while, I don't really have anything overly exciting to report. Oh. Just kind of relaxed a little bit. School's over. I yeah. somehow miraculously got two Bs. I have no idea how I did that. <laughs> I'm not going to complain. Yeah, yeah, Other I hear than that, you. It's just been work. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Uh, well, me, I don't know if people can tell, I've got like some sort of chest cold going on, so my voice might seem a little off. Pardon that. Um, this this past weekend, or at least this past weekend as of when we're recording this, I actually got to meet Kellen for the first time, which was really cool. He was in Chicago for uh, Anime Central, and uh, we hung out at my place, uh, I want to say it was Wednesday night. Yeah, Wednesday night, and uh, we watched, uh, I think, like five or six episodes of that anime back. I thought that was really good. It was great. And then we watched uh, one episode of, oh, I know I'm going to mispronounce this, and I love it, Narima Daikon Brothers, I think is how it's pronounced, mm-hmm. uh, Narima or something like that. Um, that's funny. Oh, my God. Uh, I had to I had to get it from Netflix. I had to get all three discs from Netflix so I could just watch them over and over and over again. Well, at least until I have to return the discs, you know. But, uh, yeah, and then uh, I think it was Friday night, um, I actually had dinner with he and uh, Hannah Kruger, also from the forums, and main page writer of Earth2.net. She was in town, too, and I had met Hannah before, met her last year when she was in town. And uh, so that was really cool, j- just getting to hang out with them. I didn't go to the con myself. Bad experience. Bad experience with that con from two years ago. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we, we remember that well. Anyways, while I'm talking about Kellen, something I want to do is, uh, you know, WFP, it has a lot of listeners. It actually has the most listeners of any uh, Earth2.net podcast. What I want to do is, I just real briefly, I just want to plug the other podcasts 
on Earth2.net. You know, so maybe some of the listeners of WFP can go listen and try out those other shows, you know? On Sundays, or every other Sunday, there's Bigger on the Inside, which is a Doctor Who podcast hosted by myself and Dan Toland. On the opposite Sundays, there's Better in the Dark, hosted by Tom DJ and Derek Ferguson. Pardon me for butchering your last name there for a second there, Derek. Um, it's a really great movie podcast. It's just two guys sitting around talking movies. Great, great show. Uh, every Monday, there's Dread Media, the horror podcast hosted by Desmond Reddick. Um, on Tuesdays, usually on Tuesdays, sometimes I skip them if I'm just not really in the mood to edit, uh, is Earth 2 at the show. Uh, opposite uh, WFP on Wednesdays, of course, is Kellen's anime-themed show, An Amazing Podcast, which just, uh, again, as of this recording, just uh, posted its 51st episode. Then on uh, three Thursdays every month, there's the relatively new Married to Movies, hosted by Desmond Reddick, again, of Dread Media, and his wife Megan, where one week they'll talk about a guy film, like Robocop or A Fistful of Dollars, and then on another week they'll talk about a chick flick, you know, like... I don't know, name a chick flick. Moulin Rouge and other chick flicky flicks, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, like I said, that's three times a month. And then on the Thursdays, that's not airing, is the sadly, sadly, sadly soon to be ending uh, For Your Ears Only, hosted by our good, good friend, slash clip monkey, Ian Wilson, <laughs> and his buddy, Adam Fisher. That is going to end in June, next month. You're just going to miss Adam Fisher, aren't you? I really am. I really am. I hope <laughs> they do another podcast together. <laughs> Let's see. On Fridays, Fridays is sort of like uh, a hodgepodge, really. Sometimes, you know, there might be an episode of DJ Comics Cavalcade, which is a podcast hosted by Tom DJ from Better in the Dark. Is his solo show. Uh, where he just looks at Silver Age comics. You know, he's spoken about Captain America books, Green Lantern books. He's currently focusing on, again, the Silver Age Teen Titans, right when that team was formed. Also on Fridays, when she and I sit down to record an episode, there's the uh, kind of pop culture-y podcast, Mike and Nikki make a podcast. And then on Saturdays, there's an, usually another episode of Earth2.net, the show. Did I miss any podcasts? I'm looking at the list. No, I didn't. And I know later this year, I'm not ready to announce what it is yet, but we do have another show coming. That'll be in July. So yeah, if you guys want to check out any of those podcasts, go to Earth2.net, www.earth-number2.net. On the left-hand side of the page. Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> but yeah, no, like I said, I just I just really hope that some of our WFP listeners hear that list of shows and they go, oh, you know what? I really like James Bond. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go check out For Your Ears Only. Or I'm really into anime. I didn't know they had an anime show. Boom, go check out Animazing Podcast. My shilling is done for now. Oh, wait, no, it's not. Because... <laughs> I, again, I want to remind people we have that store. Go to earth2.net slash store, earth-number2.net slash store, where you can buy World's Finest Podcast t-shirts, the in-continuity and not-in-continuity shirts, which, of course, is relevant to today's show because we're starting Teen Titans. <laughs> oh, it hurts to laugh. <laughs> anyways, anyways, um, enough of the shilling. This is going to be a long show. We have six episodes of Teen Titans to talk about, and we have a slew of emails and voicemails to play, so let's just get right into it. All right. First of the 100,000 emails we have today <laughs> is from Steve, who writes, Hey, guys, I wanted to make a quick comment about Michael's comment about Bob Kane getting inspired by the book The Man Who Laughs. Bob Kane did not in any way create the Joker. I actually think I said that. Yeah, I don't James know if you... said that. All I yeah. said was, hmm. 
yeah, that was my flub. So, uh, yeah, he says the Joker is Jerry Robinson's creation, not Bob Kane's. So, yeah, that was my fault. Uh, and finally, I asked you this on the forum but didn't get a response there. And since the Teen Titans are probably regarded to a much lesser degree because of their less than tenuous continuity ties to the DCAU the way the other three are, but they should probably be included in the little red-headed stepchild uh, of the DCAU. Uh, so the question is, now that you have gone through Batman Beyond, Zeta, and Static, do you think the arguments against them hold merit? Or do you think they are stereotyped as not being shows featuring the true Batman, i.e. Bruce in his prime, Superman, and the other big-name mainstream DC comic book characters? Hence, people hate on them without watching the shows and hating on them on their merits as programming. Yeah, I think people do hate on those programs uh, unnecessarily without having seen them. Um, you know, if people saw them and they didn't like them, then that's fine. That's their, you know, that that's you know that that's their call. But if they didn't see them and and want to hate all over them, that's that's not right. You know, and we all do that. It's not like I'm putting myself or even James above that. You know, we've all hated on stuff that we've just heard about or whatever. But you know, mm-hmm. and we said this before. You know, Zeta it, it had its flaws, and I think our scores, you know, our overall score reflected that. But it was a semi-entertaining show. Static, again, not the best program, but when it got socially conscious, 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 socially conscious, conscious that's it, yeah. It, uh, that was a really good show when it, it did was, that. And it was really character-driven, too. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. That was what was the, the best thing about it, not even so much the social commentary, but just the characters in the show. Right, yeah, remember... I believe one of the things I said when we were uh, rounding out our Zeta discussion, or excuse me, our static discussion, was that I was going to miss the Virgil Pops relationship mm-hmm. because it really grew over the course of that series. So, yeah, I mean, sure, there were some really bad episodes like Hoop Squad. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, there was the gun slash bullying one, there was the racism one. I mean, I'm sure there were other socially conscious ones I can't think of right now, but yeah, that show was that show was really good. And Teen Titans, let's all flash back to the days before World's Finest Podcast claimed that it was in DCAU continuity. People were hating on Teen Titans then because of its look, you know, because it was anime influenced. There was this sort of Western bias against Eastern animation, and that's a shame because. It is a really good show. Again, yeah. not all the episodes are 10 out of 10s. No, 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 no. But, man, it's it's fun. It's it, 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 But it can be really serious and dark. It had great uh. characters. It knew how to juggle the characters. It wasn't afraid to, you know, like, f- take an episode and focus on Beast Boy instead of, like, Robin or Cyborg, you know, like some really cool characters, you know? Yeah, I really hope as we cover Teen Titans, our listeners don't just follow along with WFP, but also do take a chance and watch Teen Titans with us and chime in. And at that point, if if they continue to say, they, you guys, if you continue to say, you don't like it, then that's fair game. Now, I agree, because like you were saying about the bias on Eastern animation, and I, for God's sake, Avatar The Last Airbender is... Maybe the greatest cartoon I've ever seen, and it's very much Eastern-influenced. So, Next email is from Eric, who writes, Hey guys, I'm back and I missed listening to the podcast and responding to you. It would be a uh, grain of luck that I catch up with my favorite jail episode, Wild Cards, uh, would be reviewed. Also, this was posted on my birthday, April 14th, so it was a nice gift from Earth2.net, so thanks. Well, happy First- belated birthday. 
Yes. First off, I must say congrats to James for his new home. Thank you. And wish you luck on the rest of your schooling. I know how hard it is to keep up with school when you have so much other stuff going on. Yes, it is. Uh, I recently got a Nintendo Wii and have been playing Super Mario Galaxy and Su- new Super Mario Brothers Wii to get ready for the new Super Mario Galaxy 2 coming out next month. How do you, how do you like new Super Mario Brothers? I love it. I'm 28 and it was great to see a 2D side scroller again. Now I'm excited to see Sonic the Hedgehog 4 and I'll be getting Mega Man 10. I'm also ready for a Nightmare on Elm Street remake, A-Team movie, The Expendables, and Iron Man 2 for the summer. Iron Man 2, I saw it, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't as good as Iron Man 1. Nightmare on Elm Street, if you haven't seen the remake yet, skip it, really. I mean, there there were a couple of moments that were like, oh, that was okay, but overall, I was really let down by that film. A-Team, oh, hell yeah, I can't wait for that. If, if, if that one lets me down, I'm gonna, there's gonna be like, I'm just gonna cry one sad tear, you know? <laughs> uh, the Expendables, I'll probably go see, but I'm not super hyped for that one. I, uh, I've gotta see The Expendables simply because it has like every action star ever. <laughs> right, <in it>. yeah. <laughs> it even has Dolph fucking Lundgren in it, for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah. <My> God. <laughs> what I, what I, uh, like about that movie is that, uh, the you know the person getting top billing is Stallone, of course, because I think that whole thing's his baby, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think it is, yeah. But right below him is Jason Statham. Wow, that really shows you that Statham has come into his own as an action icon. That he's getting billing just below Stallone and above every other big name in that movie. I think that, it helps that he does most, if not all, of his own stunts. Well, Statham legitimately is a badass. That man knows how to fight. Now, what about what about the video games? Because I, I have a Wii, I have Galaxy, I haven't played it, though. Have you? I don't have a Wii anymore, so oh, I, okay. haven't, I, haven't played a, I haven't played a Wii game since Smash Brothers, and that was God however many years ago. Yeah, I remember our old uh, Smash Brother intros to WFP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just go on for like a half an hour, you know? <laughs> it's sort of like listening to one of DW's Extra Live segments on Earth 2 at the show, where he's just going on and on about Street Fighter 4. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you love what you love, and you want to talk about what you love, so that's great. Adding to the summer movies, I saw The, uh, the Losers. A couple nights ago. Oh, yeah, what'd that, you think? That was awesome. It was a fucking awesome movie. Uh, Chris Evans pretty much owns the whole thing. Yeah, he was really good in that, yeah. So, I just had to throw that out there, because I, I didn't want it to be left out. And also, I saw Kick-Ass a few weeks ago, which I loved. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was just a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of dark fun, but fun nonetheless. Yeah, Kick-Ass was a ball. Um, I can't wait for that to come on DVD, so I can see it again. The Losers, I liked it. But it felt like it was missing something for me, and I can't put my finger on what that something is. But I definitely did enjoy it. I'm just a little sad for it that it's probably going to get overshadowed by the A-Team, which is the same concept. You know, a, a military group, like a CIA group, gets blamed for a crime they didn't commit. Uh, in the Losers, they're presumed dead. In the A-Team, they go to jail. And then they make their presence known again, and they're on the run from the forces that were trying to frame slash kill them in the first place. You know what I'm saying? And because the A-Team is such a bigger franchise than the Losers is, because the Losers is, of course, a comic book, the Losers is going to be forgotten about by the time the summer's over. And if it's good, the A-Team's just going to be getting all the talk. I wish the Losers could have come out like six months ago. Like, at the, you know, like, let's say November, December-ish. But I don't know. That's just the way it is. But yeah, it was still a fun movie, and I thought um, 
I forget the actor's name. The the guy who played the comedian in Watchmen. He uh, was the leader in The Losers, though. Yeah. I forget um, that actor's name. He, I, I liked him and uh, Zoe Sent Zoe Zoe. What is her uh, last name? Sandoval. Uh, Sultana or something like that. Mm, I'm told. I cannot. Mm, I know her last name, but for some reason I'm blanking on it right now. But uh, I think she's got chops. I really do. I think. Uh, in a few years' time, she's going to be a, a much bigger, like, headlining actress. Yeah, she's definitely one of those next big thing actresses coming onto the scene, yeah. Yeah, I liked her as Uhura in the Star Trek reboot. Uh, she she was in Avatar as the female Navi, right? I didn't see Avatar. I, I had no no interest in seeing that movie, so, yeah. but I know who you're talking about. I'm 99% sure that was her, and if I remember correctly, when Nicolette and I spoke about that, on uh, Mike and Nikki Make a Podcast, I said that she was one of the best things of that film, and, you know, I, I didn't like that movie, but she did stand out. All righty, continuing the email here, I've also got more into reading collected story comics and recently bought Dark Knight Returns and The Killing Joke, and while they are great to read, I see them as overhyped a bit, especially Dark Knight Returns. I'll be picking up the rest of the Frank Miller Batman stuff soon, but first, A Death in the Family and, a, and the two volumes of Under the Hood I'll be getting uh, to get myself ready for the DC animated movie that's coming out. I'm excited for this new movie. How about you? What did you guys think of Justice League Crisis on Two Earths? I love James Woods' Owlman. The rest were good, but he stood out for me. Will you guys be reviewing the latest films or the Superman films soon? Grab Batman Year One. I think it's a lot better than The Dark Knight Returns. I think The Dark Knight Returns is good, but it is a little overhyped. Year One is a lot lot better. It's much more grounded, a much more human story. All right, next one is from Joseph writes, Hey guys, thanks for the review of the episode hereafter. When I see Lobo, I always laugh at his jokes and antics. I was thinking that Jeffrey Dean Morgan, a.k.a. the comedian from Watchmen... There we go! <laughs> Thank you, Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking he could play Lobo or uh, Ray Stevenson, a.k.a. Punisher from Punisher Warzone. And thinking of Mickey Rourke here, he's going to be in the movie with Sylvester Stallone and Jason Statham in the movie called <laughs> Expendables, also Dolph Lundgren, uh, for Masters of the Universal Theater, too. Great jumping, Jesus. Uh, thanks, and can't wait for your review of Starcross. P.S. Chris Evans, a.k.a. The Human Torch, is cast as Captain America, and Hugo Weaving from uh, V for Vendetta will play the Red Skull. I did not know that. That is awesome. Uh, what do you guys think of the casting of those two actors? Well, there you go. I just said my piece. <laughs> um, Hugo Weaving as the Red Skull, like, wow. Like, yeah. Um, Chris Evans almost do no wrong yeah chris evans as captain america i'm going to have a wait and see policy he usually plays a jokester and cap is the straight man to the jokesters you know um i think chris evans would be a better hawkeye and but we'll see we'll see maybe he could you know play a more serious dramatic action role Next one's from Matt, who writes, Mike and James, I've always noticed that Hawkgirl doesn't always flap her wings in instances when she really would have to, especially when she's hovering in the air. There's the, an instance of this in Hereafter once Superman is blasted by Toy Man. In her reaction, she's moving slightly up and down, but her wings are clearly visible and not flapping. I understand that it's a cartoon and animated wings can be time-consuming, but did you guys ever notice this? Also, does the nth metal of Hawkgirl's mace allow her to float sort of like with Thor's hammer? Thanks, guys. Love the show. I've noticed the wing thing, but it's never really bothered me. What about you, James? Yeah, me too, because I remember in, uh, what is it, Only a Dream, when uh, Copperhead grabs onto Hawkgirl and she flies up in the air. Her wings are just sticking out, and they're not moving at all. Yeah. So I did know, I noticed it there more than anything, but again, it 
like you said, it didn't bother me or anything. I mean, the way I can sort of maybe justify it is I think she and her people can probably fly without their wings, sort of like Superman or Wonder Woman can. But maybe if they need more speed, they have to flap their wings or something. As for the mace giving her the ability to fly like Thor's hammer, I mean, maybe you could say that, but... I kind of doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think if we've seen her fly without flapping her wings while not holding or in possession of the mace. And I can't come up with any instances off the top of my head. So it could be it, but then anybody who picked up an, an nth metal item should be able to fly. And as we saw in Starcrossed, you know, every all the Justice League members yeah. <laughs> were kicking ass with those maces and whatnot, and uh, they weren't flying. So I kind of doubt it. I really do. But good theory. Absolutely good theory. Next one's from David. who writes, hey, Michael and James, I thought I'd pass this idea I had to see what you guys think of it. The Tower of, of Babel storyline from the Justice League comics could actually make for an interesting starting point for a live-action Justice League movie. After movies are made of the various heroes that would be in, in Justice League, the Justice League movie itself could establish that they've all been happening in the same universe and that Christian Bale's Batman has been keeping tabs on him in case they abuse their powers and have become a threat to uh, that he'd have to stop. The villain of the movie, perhaps Raish or Tali al Ghul, could discover the contingency plans Batman's made to deal with these superhumans and a bid to keep these heroes out of the way and to advance some apocalyptic scheme. Those plans are carried out on the heroes. Once the heroes are in various traps that exploit their weaknesses, the villain, still working and honestly, drops hints that Batman is behind the attacks, which isn't hard to do since they were, in fact, Batman's ideas in the first place. That way, if the heroes manage to escape their predicaments, and they do, they pay Batman a visit. Batman then has to fend off some exce- uh, exceedingly pissed-off superheroes and convince him that he didn't attack them. And, of course, by the time the heroes figure out who's really responsible and band together as a league of sorts, it's already too late. The villain's master plan is already in motion. I figure this could be a great way to present the Justice League movie because it not only incorporates elements from a well-liked comic story, but it also has the characters meet in a way that introduces quite a bit of conflict. Sure, it's at, at its core a superheroes fight each other over a misunderstanding plot, but it's one that I think is at least logical. Superman, GL, Flash, and the other heroes wouldn't be fighting each other, but they'd have a genuine reason to want to kick Batman's ass, and Batman's not even completely blameless. His retaliation would show how much of a badass Batman is, and it would allow him to be in a team-up movie with other superheroes without diminishing his edge. He's not the type to join a team like the Justice League, so this would give him incentive. I was curious what you think of this idea and what you'd like to see in the as the plot of a live-action JL film. Keep up the uh, great work with the podcasts. I'm going to tell you why I don't think that would work as a Justice League movie. Let's say, like, the first Justice League movie. And it's basically because the threat isn't big enough. If you're going to team up Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, the Martian Manhunter, Green Lantern, I mean, those are people, and I'm just naming the ones with, like, really awesome levels of power, okay? They need to be joining forces to take on a threat that is so monumental that, you know, if if they don't conquer it, the, the world's over. You know what I'm saying? Possibly even the universe is over, right? Them teaming up to just stop Rachel Ghoul and then go pick on Batman because he had contingency plans, it, it just doesn't quite work for me as that initial Justice League movie. It's a great idea for a Justice League story once the team's been together for a while. So maybe it's like the second or third movie. First movie, no, just not for me. Also, it would feel really weird having super-powered people invading the the Nolan Batman universe. 
You know, it's so grounded. Anything that happens in those movies isn't really outside the realm of possibility. You know, like the fear toxin, you know, just make it any sort of experimental military drug or any sort of street drug that just, you know, I don't know, fucks with your head because that's what drugs do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That That's very grounded. The stuff the Joker's doing, he's trying to prove a point. And he, you know, he pretty much does. Again, grounded. Then throw, you know, a, an alien and, you know, a couple of aliens into the mix, an undersea king, uh, a, you know, a, 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 a princess born of the gods. It really screws with that universe too much. I, I think they need a whole different Batman for that movie. So, but that, that's just a personal thing. I, you know. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I want to see that story, the Tower of Babel story, as a DC Universe animated movie. Absolutely. That would rock on all kinds of levels. Right. And it would work, again, if you establish that the team's been together for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I hope they adapt it. I really do. You know, it seems a little odd to me that they're going to, and don't get me wrong, I love the, you know, under the hood uh, storyline, those two trade paperbacks. They're great. But I don't know why they're adapting that before Tower of Babel. Next one is from Steve, who writes, Hey guys, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the announced Young Justice series on Cartoon Network featuring Tim Drake, Connor Kent, and Bart Allen. Any chance of it being covered on the next Doe Sims project? (laughs) It's been a while since we got one of these kind of emails, hasn't it? Not really, actually. (laughs) Uh, Some of them I've been addressing uh, personally and uh, not forwarding to have them read it right on the air. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So they're still getting a response, just not airtime. But, uh... Before we get into what our next project may or may not be, what do you think about the cartoon, or at least the announcement of the cartoon? I don't know anything about Young Justice. I assume that's, is that based off series Young Justice? Yeah, yeah, it is. Think of it as Teen Titans, just not called Teen Titans. I will give it a, a, a watch, definitely. You know what? As long as it's got Connell as Superboy, Tim as Robin, and Bart Allen as Kid Flash or Impulse... I don't care who else is on that team. I'll just be geeking out every week for that show. I love that terrific trio, we'll call them. Um, I think they're great characters that play well off of each other. Because you've got Tim, who's pretty much a straight man. You've got Superboy, who's kind of fun-loving, but can get kind of dark sometimes. And then you've got Impulse, Kid Flash, Bart Allen, whatever we're going to call him, who's just like... That, that guy never slows down, and he, he even annoys Superboy sometimes. <laughs> That's how much you know fun-loving he is. Um, so th- yeah, they have such a great dynamic. I'm really looking forward to that. Now, as to what our ne- next project is, it's still way too early to say. All right, next one's from the Coney. I, pro- I apologize if I mispronounced that. Email reads: uh, Hi, Mike and James. I found WFP a few days ago and have finally listened to all the Justice League episodes and the first five of BTAS. Justice League is my favorite of all the DCAU cartoons, and re- the reviews point out things I hadn't seen before. BTAS is neat as well, but only the episodes I've seen of it were uh, the random reruns on WB. There are a couple of things you missed, though, in Wild Cards and Eclipsed. Wild Cards has an animation flaw in the hot girl trying to revive John scene. Admittedly, it's small, but it always annoys me. When she's doing the chest compressions, John's chest doesn't move at all. It's like she's pounding on a rock. Mm. Secondly, the real reason Eclipse sucked is because the whole plot revolved around a magical rock with the souls of lizard people implanted in it through the mystical reptilian shaman magic. (laughs) Even watching that at age seven during its original airing, all I thought through the episode was, what the heck? (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) 
Anyway, great podcast, and I'm looking forward to the review of Starcrossed. <laughs> Thanks. All right, next one is from Valerie, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, it's Valerie again. I was just listening to WFP60 with the Static Shock episode Tantrum. James, you said some, it was something that really hit home for you. Uh, because you said your friend died three years ago. Well, my grandpa died last summer. He had just turned 75. I miss him a lot. And on top of that, my parents are going through a bad divorce that I'm praying will be over soon. Sorry I'm rambling. I just wanted to recommend some books to the readers. Uh, I read uh, Tower of Babel, uh, The Adventures of Batman and Robin, and Identity Crisis. Those are some good reads. Michael asked you this. Uh, an author by the name of Andrew Yachts uh, wrote a book about how Bruce's parents were ki- uh were killed. Uh, his mom was in Africa or something like that, but if you know, let me know where I can find it. It uh, looks like a good read. And before I forget, Mike, I have to say that out of all the old Batman films, the one with Val Kilmer is my favorite. Stop banging your head on the desk, Mike. Uh, I like it because it shows the emotional pain that both Bruce and Dick uh, that they went through. Even though I'm going through a difficult time in my life, you guys always make me laugh. Oh, and by the way, I met Adam West. Yes, the Grey hey. Ghost and 60s Batman. I-, I wasn't quite clear on that question. A, it's a book about the Waynes dying, but something about Martha in Africa. Right, right back in and let me know if that's a prose novel or if it was like a comic or something, because it's not ringing a bell either way. So, and, and I'd like to see that because y'all know how I feel about the attention Martha doesn't get. Mm-hmm. So I'm always interested in uh, seeing what writers try to do with her. Next one's from Reese, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, nice job with the podcast. Since you two seem to be experts in this area, I have two questions. Uh, why was Justice League Unlimited just now put on iTunes? And number two, if Disney owns Marvel, why are all the Marvel-related cartoons on Nickelodeon? I look forward to Teen Titans and wish you luck through and through. Uh, for the iTunes question, couldn't tell you. Probably a licensing deal or a distribution deal. As to why... Um, if Disney owns Marvel, why are all their cartoons on Nickelodeon? Pre-existing deals. I mean, the the Marvel-Disney merger only became official at the start of 2010. All right, next one is from Mike Blanchard, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, everyone knows about the quote-unquote movie versions of DCAU cartoons, mainly World's Finest and Starcrossed. While the season sets slash complete series sets of Superman and Justice League are awesome, they lack something about the two coolest DCAU stories. These single-disc DVDs have extra features that are specific to them, and I was very surprised how they added them to the DVD. I was also very surprised with the fact they made a special opening sequence on the Starcross DVD. I didn't know that. That's cool. Anyway, I will stick with WFP through the Teen Titans era, but yikes, so not in continuity. Sorry, just had to say it. Buy a t-shirt, sir. <laughs> That's our retort. Yeah, and if you already have, buy another. <laughs> <laughs> or buy the uh, Earth2.net geek culture at its finest shirt. Like I Exactly, have. exactly. I mean, we, there's, there's tons of shirts. Go buy them. B- buy one of each. Buy 12 of each. I don't care. Just buy stuff. <laughs> Next one is from Eric, right? Hey guys, another great episode. After listening, I went right through, uh, right to episode 400 of Earth2.net, the show, so I was hearing you guys for quite a while. Uh, <laughs> first off, I want to ask if you guys have seen the trailer for Jonah Hex. I'm not too into westerns or the character, but it looks like it may be good. The makeup is great on the character. Uh, it was shown attached to the remake uh, for A Nightmare on Elm Street. So, uh, and well, so what did you think about Iron Man 2? Well, I think I think Mike said you said your opinion, but uh, I I pretty much agree. I was really disappointed with Iron Man 2. I have I really have to say it. I, I thought the dialogue was pretty bad in a lot of places. Uh, I was really sick and tired of the constant Pepper and uh, Tony 
talk really fast at each other at the same exact time for. Like, oh, I love that stuff. I don't know. It just happened too many times for my liking. It just oh, got okay. for me. It just got really old. My other problems with the movie would spoil the movie, if, so I can't really say them oh, here. Oh yeah. But I think I mentioned them on the forum. So okay. If uh, you want to see my thoughts on uh, Iron Man two, just head on over to the forums. As for Jonah Hex, remember earlier how when I was saying you should see something before you shit on it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, do as I say, not as I do, because, um, fuck that movie. Ugh. No, I'm kidding. Not really. I was super psyched for it. I mean, Josh Brolin as Hex, whoa! Then I heard Megan Fox was in it, and I was like, no! And then I'm like, okay, but I'll still give it a chance, because it's Josh Brolin. Isn't John Malkovich in that thing? Yeah, John Malkovich is the villain in that, too. I completely forgot about that. And then I saw the trailer, and I was like, what is going on here? A horse with Gatlin guns on it, and... Like, okay, it's okay if there's some mysticism involved in the movie. I don't have a problem with that, but it seems like they're giving Hex the mystical powers. And I'm wondering if the people who wrote this, like, thought because his last name is Hex, he could cast spells, you know what I'm saying? Like, they had no clue what the character could do. Ooh, he's a witch cowboy! Ooh! Like, no, that's not the guy! Yeah, I mean, seriously, once I saw that trailer... My enthusiasm for that movie was, uh, its legs were just chopped out right from underneath it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I haven't even seen the trailer. I've just, I'm going to go see it. Oh, I will too, yeah. But, yeah, I'm not not exactly psyched for it at all. Uh, Well, on with the podcast episode for Starcross. Watching the three-part episode the first time, I was rather put off on it. I don't know why. I was just getting into Justice League when I first saw it, so it was something new for me. to that point, I had only known about Batman, Superman, The Flash, and Wonder Woman. Watching the episodes now, I, I must say it's incredible. The animation is a bit too CGI for me at times, like when the Thanagarian plane first lands. It looks like a fake simulation. Yeah. But, the, but the overall story is great. Like James said, we were faced with a villain whose point of view is understandable, very much like Magneto's. The final battle, especially between Lantern and uh, Protalic, is great, too. It really feels like the writers and producers felt they weren't coming back, so they wanted to go out with a bang. I'm glad that Superman finally decides to take the kid gloves off. <laughs> I, I love the flash in this episode. The scene where he blows part of uh, parts of Bruce's place up was uh, and, piss, and pisses Batman off is classic. Yeah. I, I felt his anger, but at the same time I was cracking up. And it's awesome the way that Alfred, in a way, stood up to the Thanagarians. It shows that he is a, a member of the team regardless of what he says later. <laughs> I would gladly give this episode a 5 out of 5 or a 10 out of 10 on your rating scale. Now I need to get uh, Teen Titans to view. I was never into that show because of how cartoony it was, but I'll watch them now just to hear your points of view. Excellent. But I have made up my mind on its continuity. <laughs> Buy a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, next one is from Norb. Uh, writes, Mike and James, uh, thoughts on Batman the Brave and the Bold. Even though I first sat down to watch it with my BTAS glasses on, by the end of the first Aquaman episode, who owns every show he's in, I was <laughs> yes. hooked. Now it's almost as dear to me as are the DCAU shows. It's nice to hear Will McGinnis Friedel back <laughs> as the new Blue Beetle. I know it's been said to death, but how awesome is, is that big guns of the DCAU, Conroy, Hamill, Delaney, and Clancy Brown, were brought back for some episodes as well. And what episodes were they in? Chill, Chill of the Night is my favorite episode to date. Not only was it written by Paul Dini, but the whole color scheme of the episode was dark and almost BTAS dark. Just check out Batman's costume. I'm glad they're using Guy Gardner as the resident GL of the show. And I'm guessing 
Gnort needs no further comments. <laughs> I have to ask what you guys think about the Terrible Trio episode. The only thing I like about the BTAS one is your review, and I never really <laughs> got into the Batman, though I saw the episode in question. Looks like no Batman show can escape the, the TT treatment. <laughs> I have to admit, I kind of like this one, even though it had a little something of the previous two incarnations in it. The trio is a band of thieves, and they transform into the representative animals in some way. I have to say, I dig that their masks represent their totem animals. Also love to see the Tengu mask on Bruce. I actually have not seen the terrible trio episode of the, of the Batman or of Brave and the Bold. I don't think I've seen the Brave and the Bold one either. I'm grossly behind on that cartoon. I just, as much as I love it, I just, I just fell behind. It happens, you know. I think I saw, in fact, I'm 99% sure. No, I know I did, in fact, see the one for the Batman. And, you know, it wasn't as bad as The Terrible Trio from BTAS. <laughs> well, I, you know? the thing I remember about yeah, that... Is, I know what you're going to say, yeah. Yeah, Tim making those avatars, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gentle Jesus, that yeah. was hilarious. <laughs> I think it's still... I know he doesn't come to the forums anymore, but I think that's still his avatar. <laughs> <laughs> the shark <laughs> he used guy. the shark, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad there won't be any new episodes for some time. The one I'm looking the most forward to is the announced Flash episode featuring Jay, Barry, and Wally. It'd be so cool if Wally would be voiced by Michael Rosenbaum again, even though he already voiced Dead Man on the show. I know you already mentioned uh, once on the show that The Brave and the Bold is the greatest Batman cartoon ever. I was just wondering what you guys thought about the above-mentioned things. All I, I guess all I have left to say is, Teen Titans, go! And have a nice weekend. Buy a shirt. <laughs> That's my stock answer now. Just buy a shirt. <laughs> if I, people are just going to ask you a question, and you're going to be like, buy a shirt. Yeah, it won't even be Teen Titans related. You hey, you want to go get some pizza later, Mike? Buy, buy a, a shirt. shirt. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> just, How's the yeah. weather outside? Buy a shirt. Exactly. Well, that sort of answers the question, you know. <laughs> uh, we actually have a, another email here from uh, Norb, uh, Norbert, I believe, is his uh, complete name. Uh, this was, I think he sent this one first. Uh, yeah, I think I sent some of the, like, I tried forwarding all the emails in mass, and it only forwarded, like, two-thirds of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they kind of got jumbled up. Sorry. Yeah, so this was actually the first email he sent. He's introducing himself. He's uh, He says, I'm a 26-year-old comic book fan from Romania. Hey, our, uh, our nice. borders are expanding. Yeah. Uh, I've discovered the show last year around October. I was looking for a podcast about my favorite animated universe, and boy, did I find it. I've been listening ever since, and I've caught up on all the episodes. I usually listen to them at work, and I'd like to thank you guys for making work enjoyable. Excellent show. <laughs> I was eagerly looking forward to Starcross, too, as I knew that uh, such a great episode could only have a great review. So the question, why didn't Jean pilot the satellite instead of Batman. Uh, I have to tell you that it only dawned on me while I was listening to the episode and was surprised it never occurred to me before. The answer is, of course, fire. Yeah. John's kryptonite is fire, although as far as I can remember, it has never been established outright in the DCAU. He's always either taken out by a psychic attack or some electric weapon like in Starcrossed. Batman always being ten steps ahead of everyone knew what would happen if he would have left uh, Jean in there. I mean, we all saw what happens to the satellite, a.k.a. the giant fireball hurtling <laughs> towards Earth. <laughs> and more to this, Batman wouldn't risk the life of a teammate, more importantly of a friend. I have to refer to another great DC animated movie, Crisis on Two Earths. Just think of the Batman-Flash relationship there. I can't wait till you guys get to review it. Or it could just boil down to the fact that Batman can never fully trust anyone but himself, so he had to do it in order to succeed. <laughs> yes. And one last thing, uh, thought about it. Him being ten, ste uh, ten steps ahead, do you think he also planned for Superman to rescue him? Maybe? <laughs> That's a good question. I think... For him, that was a 50-50 shot. 
I think he knew that Superman would rescue him if he could, but he also knew that there was a very good chance Superman would be so engaged in battle that he wouldn't have the chance to rescue him. So Batman really thought that could have been it for him, hence what he said to John and Flash. As to the fire thing, it's I'm not even joking, about... 20 or 30 minutes before that email came in, I posted that exact same thing at the forums about the fire in John. It was so weird. Like, I post it, and then this email comes, and I was like, holy shit, I was just writing about this. Because <laughs> I was like, duh. I mean, win somewhere? Yeah. I was like, how did we not think about that? You know, because again, as he said, it's not mentioned in the show, but it's still part of the character's history. You know, so maybe that's what they were thinking when they came up with that. Who knows? I know it was way down the line, but I'm curious what you guys think about the line in the episode, maybe you remember it, the late Mr. Kent. After he is thought dead, Clark is in Smallville at home with his parents, and at one point, Pa Kent says something to the effect, don't worry, you'll just have to find a new identity. And Clark's answer is, but I am Clark. I always thought that Clark should be the real personality. Just like they said in one of the Lois and Clark episodes, Clark is who I am, Superman is what I can do. Of course, the series was based on the John Byrne reboot uh, reboot continuity in which Clark Kent was not just a top reporter, but also a successful novelist. Besides, the Kents didn't know what what he uh, would become. They weren't raising the world's greatest superhero. And, of course, there's the lowest question. How can he get her to fall in love with him if he keeps acting like a bumbling idiot? I can only take clumsy Clark Kent when he's uh, played by the great Christopher Reeve. (laughs) I think it was a good, uh, very good idea that in the comics they made him reveal to, uh, reveal it to Lois after they were already engaged. Otherwise, she would have become the Lois from Superman Doomsday. And nobody wants that, right? <laughs> Thank you again for the great podcast that opened my eyes to aspects I haven't considered before regarding these shows. Keep up the great work. I'll be listening. As to the Superman thing, I think we've spoken about this before, but we'll do it again. So, you know, Clark Kent absolutely is the man. As you said in the email, Superman is just what he can do what he can become. All right, next one is from Steve again. Who writes, hey, guys, the whole notion about the timeline and when Tim Drake quits Robin, uh, or I guess he was forced out of the Robin, I guess, identity by Batman, but regardless. Uh, but when Tim Drake quits Robin and being a superhero, made me think about Bruce's actions at the end of Starcrossed. Yes, the JLA Bruce is a man of action, someone that would use self-sacrifice as a last resort, but this had me thinking. When Tim quits, in effect, breaking up the band, it's pretty clear that Bruce Wayne is now all alone. Well, save for Alfred. So one can theorize that having nothing left to live for would lead Bruce to make the decision that the ultimate sacrifice is the only solution to the situation, and that, therefore, the past events of Return of the Joker, including Drake quitting, would have had to have occurred in between Wildcards and Starcrossed. What do you guys think? I mean, I, I, I like that idea, because I I, even during our review of Starcrossed, I had said, I think it takes place between, um, you know, before Starcrossed. Because there's, there's a huge gap between hereafter, when we last see Tim, and Starcrossed. I mean, so many things could have happened in that time period, including the flashback events of Return of the Joker. And when you couple Batman's suicidal, well, quote-unquote suicidal tendencies at the end of that episode, yeah, it makes more sense to me now than it did then, and it made a lot of sense to me then. Yeah, I, I can't argue against that. It's a really interesting theory. So, yeah. Also, factor Tim isn't in the mansion. Yeah. When the Thanagarians show up on the front lawn, at that point he might be in some sort of psychiatric institute or in Leslie's care. Next one is from Brian who writes: Could Jean have shapeshifted the camera? I mean, it wouldn't 
have have to really work. It it just had to flash. Not sure what the limitations of his shape shifting are. He's only done living things on the show, but there are plenty of creatures that can produce light. Perhaps he just modified something along those lines. Also, the Watchtower is the second biggest explosion in DCAU history. I present Krypton. <laughs> He's got you there, my yeah, friend. <laughs> he did. He, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> Before that email came in, I was going to say that it was the explosion of um, the big brainiac asteroid when Darkseid died. Yeah. But then the email came out with Krypton, and I was like, oh, he got you. <laughs> yep. What's, what's the word? Oh, yeah. Owned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, I humbly admit my mistake. <laughs> yeah, so I would say Krypton, uh, Brainiac Asteroid, and then the Watchtower blowing up the Thanagarian generator thingy. So, yeah, what was the first part of that email? There was something else. There was something I wanted to address there. Sean shapeshifting and the camera that he got. Yeah, that's a good point. Who knows? Maybe he shapeshifted part of his hand into the camera and made the flash was like a thousand little fireflies or something. I don't know. (laughs) But, yeah, it's possible. Sure. This will probably be my last regular email for a while. I still plan on listening to the Teen Titans reviews, but I don't know the episodes as well and don't have the DVDs, so I won't have as many comments. But I'm still looking forward to hearing your take on them. Thank you. Thank you. And by a shirt. Yes. I'm going to drive that into the ground. I'm sorry. You really are. (laughs) (laughs) Are. I already have. (laughs) Next one is from Robert writes, Hi, Mike and James. First thing first, uh, I wanted to respond to Mike's question back in episode 62 about Virgil and how he felt uh, being in America versus being uh, in Africa by sharing my own life experience. I grew up in white suburbia, and there were only a handful of black youth in my area, most of whom I didn't know or socialize with. I was accepted by my mostly white peers and became somewhat of a celebrity due to my academic success, but I was never completely comfortable around them. I rarely made direct references to my race and made a conscious effort to distance myself from it. I always felt, uh, and in many ways still do feel like an outsider, and that I have something to prove, even though I had to do nothing of the sort around my friends. Having been to Ghana myself, I can relate to what Virgil felt that he was just another kid walking around rather than another black kid walking around. Uh, I guess in that same vein, I'm really glad I got static static shock in Justice League when I did. I think seeing black superheroes like Virgil and Jon Stewart, along with Storm and X-Men Evolution, were really uplifting to me, not just by virtue of their appearance, but by the quality of their characterization. I'd argue that Jon Stewart is the most developed character of Justice League, the inherent characterization of his star-crossed romance notwithstanding. Knowing that those heroes were see- being seen by kids of all races across the country gave me courage and helped me feel a little more comfortable about being a young black kid. So I hope that helped you, Mike. Yeah, I don't remember what I said in that episode. I, I definitely remember that coming up. You know, I, I, and I do remember calling something the question, but I don't remember exactly what I said. But, you know, maybe I just was looking at it as a white guy. And I wasn't taking, you know, I wasn't seeing it from that non-white uh, point of view. So... You know, thank you for uh, uh, writing in and uh, giving us your personal experience in that. I don't know what else to say to that, really, except except thank you, and I really do mean that. All right, about episode seventy-five. I'm sorry you guys hated uh, hated Eclipse so much, but I can see log- the logic in your arguments. For the record, I'm actually a fan of the episode because of Mo- uh, Fear. <laughs> Flash taking on the League and the awesome little tune the Snake People sing. In that same episode, I think one of you asked which JLU features the return of Solomon Grundy. It's Wake the Dead. And it also return, features the return of, well, you know who I'm talking about. About episode 76, I just wanted to gush about wild cards for a bit. And thanks for giving it a perfect score. I might have hurt you guys otherwise. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's my second favorite episode in all the DCAU after epilogue. 
The story's fantastic. Hearing the Teen Titans voice cast as the Royal Flush Gang is a treat, and we finally get the damn kiss that's been two seasons in the making. <laughs> Something I always found funny is how a character's invulnerability is often extended to their clothing. In the flashback when Ten is shot with the flamethrower, his clothes are miraculously fine. I noticed that, too. I, <laughs> didn't, I forgot to bring it up during the review. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he's just wearing a wife beater and, like, right. khakis or something. Right. <laughs> I can't help. But I can't help but laugh. Granted, they can't be showing naked people on a kid's cartoon, but they could at least char his garb or make it smoke a little bit. Right, yeah. And when Superman encases tin and molten metal, he might not feel pain, but that's still pretty brutal. Yeah. I also peeked in the forum, and someone mentioned John's lack of chest movement during his CPR. I think that's the only animation flub in the episode. But not to take away from a perfect score, right? <laughs> right. But y'all skipped over three of Joker's golden lines, which, is, which I just have to mention. The first is, Jack's just a flexible kind of guy. Very flexible. <laughs> he's uh, When he's introducing the Royal Flush Gang. The second is when Hawkgirl is trying to revive Jill, and he remarks, Ooh, medical drama. Life <laughs> for death stakes. Compelling human conflict. Ratings. <laughs> The third is the twisted version of the London Bridge as uh, he sings it as he beats the crap out of Batman. You don't know whether to sing along with him, it's admittedly quite catchy, or shit your pants in fear. And Mike, you were right about Joker kicking the bat balls multiple times. I guess that's why, explains why Damien doesn't show up in the DCAU. I thought I, I, thought I was... <laughs> you said that, James, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 78 episodes, people! Get our voices straight! Come on! <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Uh, as for the Spidey versus Batman fight, I have four words. He's the goddamn Batman. <laughs> anyway, before I finish, I wanted to say one final word to everyone whining about Teen Titans being counted in continuity. If Buy I, a shirt. Oh, oh, that's not what he's going to say. Okay. You won't even let me finish the sentence before you bust that out, will you? No. <laughs> if I could sit through Zeta, then you could sit through Teen Titans. And trust me, it's a hell of a lot better than the former. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. Well, I've burned enough time for this podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. And seriously, don't disappear after WFP is over. Because Slade <laughs> is my alter ego, Robert. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I guess, he's th- I guess he's threatening our lives if we don't do another podcast. <laughs> Remember an hour ago when I shilled all the podcasts? I was on like four of those. 12 or however many I mentioned, you know? And James is on Earth2.net, the show, not all the times, but he pops up a couple of times a year. <laughs> We're not going anywhere, people, really. I'm hoping to start another thing, hopefully, yeah. this year. Hopefully, right, I mean, yeah. Again, we'll keep that under wraps, but yeah. Next one is from Christian, who writes, Hey guys, I started watching Brave and the Bull for the first time, and though I went into it with the same attitude Mike went into it uh when, about, when he was about to review the Egg Baby, here's my verdict on it. What I liked, the conversation between, uh, Jaime, I think it's Jaime, right? Because that's the... Is that yeah, the it's Jaime Reyes, I okay. think is his name, yeah. Yeah, uh, between Jaime and his friend, which uh, takes the shit out of fanboys who insist that Batman can beat Superman without kryptonite. <laughs> the incorporation of characters who never made, uh, made it to the DCAU, whether you count Teen Titans as part of it or not. This is where you jump in, Mike. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, you're not going to, okay. No. I see how it is. <laughs> I'm preparing for it, and then you don't do it. Exactly. See, that's how I roll. People, he's just here to bust my balls as much as he possibly can. Yes, I am. Gorilla Grodd boasting about how superior he is to humans while being groomed for parasites by fellow gorillas. Uh, anytime Aquaman busts out an outrageous... <laughs> the Batman origin montage in the recent episode, The Chill of the Night, which is nearly on par with the scene where Batman uh, masks for the first time in Mask of the Phantasm. <laughs> The Music Meister's first song. The rest of them fell flat for me, though. A recycling of voice actors from the DCAU, i.e. Will Friedel and Michael Rosenbaum to Phil Morris and Conroy. (laughs) 
What I didn't like, the terrible trio as ninjas who trained alongside Bronze Tiger and Bruce Wayne. Seriously? Yeah, then I definitely didn't see that episode. Mm. Wow, okay. Fane as a weakling when not pumped with Venom. Uh, the agents of Apocalypse working for that dark side. Well, that's how it was in the DCAU. He was just a little pipsqueak. Hmm. Wasn't he? Well, do we ever actually... Yeah, Batman, at one point, Batman powers him. The first time Bane shows up and he throws the, the little guy on uh, what's-his-face's desk. Uh, Remember, he's, like just, he's just like a small, pudgy guy. Uh, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the agents of Apocalypse working for that. Dark side wannabe Mongol. Uh, this program's version of the Joker, even though he has an identical design to the Joker in the '50s portion of the Legends of the Dark Knight, he is neither funny nor dark enough. Uh, and this program's version of Robin, his costume is an eyesore, and he's still going around as Robin, even though he's an adult. And there's a lot of tension between him and Batman. To quote Ian Wilson, "For fuck's sake, go out and be Nightwing already." <laughs> yeah, I think what they're doing with Robin there is they're going with the, oh, pardon if I get the Earth wrong, I think it's the Earth 2 Robin. You know, he changed his costume a little, but it was still the Robin costume, and, you know, there was some tension between him and Batman. I think that's what they're going for. Looking forward to your review of the epic Starcross. P.S. I was listening to your Zeta Static Shock retrospective for about the 18th time, and I have a question about Static Shock. Do you think the inclusion of a racist antagonist other than Richie's dad, uh, whether it be a new villain or one like Hot Streak or Alva with a bigoted edge, could have improved the program at all, or do you think it would have lessened the power of Sons of the Fathers and made the program a little too preachy? Yes, what you just said there, but it would have been too preachy, I think. What about you, James? Yeah, I, I agree. It would, it would have been a little overkill to have another one. Because they, they made their point in uh, Sons of the Fathers. They absolutely did. Right, because if you made it a villain, it would have been like, Whoa, I'm twirling my mustache, and I don't like you because you're black. Uh-huh, you know? I'm, ca- I'm Captain Ku Klux. Right, oh my god. <laughs> like, holy shit. <laughs> That's terrible. I shouldn't laugh. I'll stop. Anyways, as I was saying, um, oh, no, I, I, I think by having it just be Richie's dad, it was much more powerful than a guy putting on a white robe and a and a stupid mask slash hat hood thing and and flying around calling himself Captain Ku Klux or whatever. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Admiral Grand Dragon. <laughs> oh my God! You know, <laughs> what the fuck? I would have nightmares about that tonight. Now, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, seriously, by grounding it with Richie's dad, much more powerful than if they went over the top with it with a costumed villain. I can't judge for myself since I've only seen a handful of Static Shock episodes, including Shock to the System and Son of the Fathers, and out of morbid curiosity, Toys in the Hood and <laughs> Hoop Squad. <laughs> Rejected. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Christian. Next one is from Aaron, who writes, I just listened to you go over the episode that supposedly dealt with guns. Uh, Jimmy, I think it was. Sadly, it wasn't about just guns. It was about bullying as well. I agree with James that they screwed that up by just going with one choice. It should have been both. Just as we are horrified uh, by what a group of teenagers did to a young Irish girl in Massachusetts, nothing has been done about it except to threaten jail time to these jerks. If more TV talked about these things, we might have our kids having a happier childhood. Yeah. 
And the last email we have today is a follow-up from Christian uh, saying, after I listened to a review of Starcrossed, I wanted to add this to the email I wrote last week. I have a pet theory that Metropolis and Gotham may both be on the coast of California rather than the tri-state area. I base this on the geography of places meant to a few miles outside of each of those cities. The trees and landscape in Sideshow reminded me of the kind of geography that would be present in Northern California, while a number of Superman episodes such as Stolen Memories and In Brightest Day feature uh, barren canyons not unlike those in Southern California and the American Southwest. If the two cities were on the California coast, I'd place Metropolis south of Gotham for almost every episode set Metropolis depicts it on a sunny day and unlike Gotham City, there are no scenes in Metropolis featuring snow, suggesting winters in the area are too warm to get any. I know there are a few things that contradict this somewhat in the DCAU, uh, such as someone's address being listed as Gotham Heights, New York, in one episode of Batman, and Metropolis being shown around where Philadelphia would be in Speed Demons. But what do you think of this hypothesis? Looking forward to a new era of World's Finest Podcast. Booyah! <laughs> nice. That, that's actually a good theory, because, yeah... A lot of Metropolis, like just outside of Metropolis, does look like, you know, the Grand Canyon type type of area, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I used to be so great at geography. I'm wonder. I, I'm trying to think if there's any Atlantic and Northern Atlantic states or in, anywhere in that area that would have canyons like that. And I'm guessing maybe Pennsylvania, West Virginia. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So that would lend credence to his theory there about, you know, with the canyons being there, because I just can't think of anywhere around that area where there would be those gargantuan canyon areas all over the place. All right, uh, so next we've got the voicemails, don't we? Yes, first up, this one is from Dan, not Toland. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys, this is uh, Dan from uh, Westchester, Pennsylvania. I've been uh, listening to you guys for like the past three months. Got started with the the Batman uh, podcast, which I thought were great. Uh, followed by Superman, which were really good. And, you know, then I got into uh, some of the other things. Um, you're going over uh, Batman Beyond. I'm remembering all these episodes as you're talking to them. But this whole time, I've been waiting for you guys to start up on Justice League. Well, just today, I said, all right, enough. I was on episode 46, I think it is, doing uh, Batman Beyond. And <laughs> I got to tell you, I just couldn't wait anymore. So I downloaded the first Justice League one. And look what I get, your phone number. Oh, so thank you so much. One thing I did want to bring up since the very first podcast I listened to you guys at, um, the episode from Batman, Two-Face. One of the things I think you guys missed in that episode is the first change from Harvey to Two-Face. When he's in that office with the uh, with the mob boss there and he's showing all those files and whatever, and then Harvey just turns and looks at me and he's like, all right, that's a good plan. But there's only one problem. You're talking with the wrong guy. And then he proceeds to kick the crap out of everyone in the office. Uh, the mob boss and the Toon Goons. That was an excellent scene. I mean, it, I even remember that from first watching that back when it was on, like, Kids WB or whatever it was. But I've always remembered that spot in the episode. I didn't think he put too much into that. You guys didn't even, barely even mentioned it. But other than that, guys, this is a great podcast. I love you guys. I've been uh, dibbling over in the earth, too, but, oh, my goodness, there's just too much there to go through. I'm just doing the movie reviews mainly. But uh, thanks a lot, guys. Keep it going. Can't wait to see where you go next. 
uh, thank you, Dan, for sending in that voicemail. Um, yeah, it, it was so long ago. <laughs> you know, I really don't remember that episode of WFP. I mean, I remember that episode of BTAS. I think, James, you do too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but something kind of tells me we did mention it. But again, you know... You know, I just said I don't entirely remember that episode of WFP, so maybe I didn't. <laughs> we, maybe we didn't mention it. I don't know. I don't know. But thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it is a really cool moment. Very. Next up, this one's from Joe, and um, it's not necessarily for WFP, but it's for me, so we'll address it here. Hey, guys. It's Joe from Connecticut. Uh, just calling to say I'm glad you all are back. I've missed you. I enjoy listening to you guys at work. Uh Hope you're well out of your funk and that you're feeling better. Um, also, uh, I know this would be a, a comment for Bigger on the Inside, but screw it, I'm going to say it here anyway. I really like Matt Smith already. Um, watched the first episode and I thought it was pretty freaking kick-ass. I'll uh, talk to you guys soon. Take care. Bye. Yeah, Joe, I got to tell you, I'm really digging Matt Smith's version of The Doctor. My top three favorite doctors are Pertwee, uh, Tennant, and Eccleston, in that order. And I think by the time Matt Smith finishes his run in three, four, five years, hopefully longer even, I think it will become Pertwee Smith-Tennant, if not Smith-Pertwee-Tennant. I mean, we're only halfway through his season so far, his first season, and he's really rocking that character. He's compassionate, but he's angry. He's out there, as the Doctor should be. You know, he's eccentric. He's playing the character a little old, despite the fact that he looks really young. I think he's a brilliant young actor. I hope he sticks with the role for as long as he can, because he's really going to leave his mark on it. This next one's from Amir. Hey, Mark and James. It's Amir, and... uh yeah, I was coming. I was calling to ask to answer a question you guys had about uh, Maids of Honor and how long would it take the Flash to die in in cold outer space? Well, he he would either freeze to death or die from his blood boiling. Depends on which side of the Earth he was on, and um, yeah, he would his um, he would only have five seconds to, to live, so. John Stewart had three seconds to probably save him, so um, we can thank so we can thank John Stewart for essentially killing the Flash because there's no way to save the Flash in five seconds. So you know, uh, yeah. So the Flash is dead. So I'll I'll talk to you guys later. And uh, I love Justice League. I love what you do with the podcast. And keep it up. See ya. Yeah, I don't know. We've had haven't we had like conflicting. People, people writing in, maybe at the forums or an email, I don't remember, saying he would actually have had, like, 90 seconds, and now Amir's saying he'd have five seconds. We need to get a definitive answer on this one. Yeah, we need scientists or something. Yeah. yeah Astronomers. Like, yeah, like rocket scientists. Well, they wouldn't, well, maybe not them, but yeah. <laughs> we need an astronaut. Buzz Aldrin, right in. <laughs> yeah, there. Next up is Shane. Hi, my name's Shane uh, Price. I Got on your um, your podcast not too long ago. I absolutely love it. Um, but I was wondering, with the Gilbert Godfrey, I'm in the middle of listening 20 years right now, uh, from Eclipse, he was a character they used in the Legend miniseries. He's like actually part of Apocalypse. I was wondering if somehow that ties into one of the other Apocalypse episodes, or maybe it is just a throwaway parody. 
Um, thanks again for the podcast. This is uh, makes my workday go by a lot faster. Yeah, I forget if we got an email about this before. I don't think we did. I think someone wrote in at the forums and said that that guy. Do you remember his name, James? I can't remember. Uh, like Glorious Godfrey or something, or something God- like that. Godfrey, right. I know is part of his name. Right, yeah. Over in the comics, for those of you that don't know, this, this was pointed out, again, to us, and I believe it was at the forums, saying that, you know, he, he's from Apocalypse, and he has some sort of mind control or something, and he was manipulating his audience, and maybe they were going for that here, but it's never said here. Right. So we just have to go with what we're given. And last up is Aaron. Hey guys, my name's Aaron Perrin. I'm from Massachusetts. I've written in a few times, and um, not only here, but to uh, Bigger on the Inside, um, just wanted to say about uh, your attitudes about uh, why the military didn't uh, want to believe that uh, Zeta was a good guy. I want to cite Doctor Who in his seventh incarnation, Sylvester McCoy, who quite uh, often said, and I'm paraphrasing, the military mind shoot first and ask questions never. The doctor felt that military people or government people in general didn't use their brains. Well, that's it for me. Keep up the good work. Guys, can't wait for the next episode. Bye. Um, the third doctor also has that problem with the military. I mean, Pertwee's doctor was always butting heads with Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart because, you know, he was a military guy, the the Brig was, obviously, because, you know, Brigadier. Um, and, you know, sometimes his first response was just to blow stuff up. Um, so that's something we see with the doctor all the time. I mean, we even get that with, with David Tennant's doctor. So I guess that does it. Thank you, everybody, for writing in and for sending in those voicemails. Buy a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Jailbreak? I don't see any jailbreak. None of us would have seen one if Cyborg hadn't messed up. Me? I messed up nothing. You got in my way. You were too far forward and Cinderblock got away because of it. You saying this is my fault? Want me to say it again? Stop! No more mean talking. Yeah, if you two are gonna fight, we need time to sell tickets. Cinderblock escaped. No amount of yelling will change that. So stop acting like idiots and let's go home. Loser. Jerk. What What did did you you say? say? You have a problem, Tin Man? Yeah, it's four feet tall and smells like cheap hair gel. Well, you're an oversized klutz and your feet smell like motor oil. You're bossy, you're rude, you got no taste in music. I don't even know why you're on this team. That makes two of us. I quit! And the first episode of Teen Titans is Divide and Conquer. In this one, a rather large villain by the name of Cinderblock breaks into a prison, and uh, the guards, i.e. the indoor stream, uh, stormtroopers, have <laughs> no luck stopping this guy. However, the Teen Titans, Robin, Starfire, Beast Boy, Raven, and Cyborg arrive on the scene, and they do have some success against him, though it is short-lived. Cyborg and Robin attempt this dual attack called the Sonic Boom, but they end up getting their feet entangled, and they collapse, accidentally blasting the other three Titans in the process. <laughs> uh, Cinderblock takes this opportunity to break into a high-security room, and he steals this 
stasis tank with a sleeping half-naked guy in it. And in his escape, he bursts through all these walls, causing a mass jailbreak. However, the Titans do stop the prisoners, mostly thanks to Raven scaring the shit out of everybody. <laughs> they get them back into their cells, but Robin blames Cyborg for Cinderblock getting away, and they start arguing, which eventually leads to Cyborg just flat-out quitting the team. Elsewhere, Cinderblock brings the tank to a shadowy figure. Gee, I wonder whom this might be. <laughs> and he has, this shadowy figure has Cinderblock break the tank open. Uh, once the man wakes up, he panics, saying he should never be awake. He, I, I'm only human when I'm sleeping. The guy says, your human form is useless to me. I need plasmus. Right on cue, the guy starts transforming into a clay face-like creature, only with the magenta tone. Later, the Titans are at home discussing what happened, and Robin pretty much just says he doesn't care that Cyborg is gone, but he pretty quickly changes his mind when he has to do Cyborg's chores and no longer has a video game partner. <laughs> Meanwhile, Plasmus is ordered to go consume toxic waste at a sewage treatment facility, but uh, the Titans get wind of this. They head over there. They attack Plasmus. Uh, eventually, they do subdue him with some girders, and uh, the Titans get word of Cinderblock attacking somewhere across town. However, Plasmus very easily escapes since he's just a big pile of toxic waste, and uh, they begin round two of this fight, and Plasmus splits his body into several very nasty toxic creatures and attacks each of the Titans one by one. Eventually, Robin is the only one left free, but he's up near the top of the the uh, warehouse, and he has his hands full with this giant crab-looking Plasmus creature thing on this conveyor that's moving high over the warehouse, uh, over several vats of toxic sludge or whatever it is. And uh, Robin does fall off of the conveyor, but Cyborg does save him, and they execute the sonic boom to perfection on Plasmus, and he reverts to his human form and is asleep. And so Robin and Cyborg kiss and make up, and <laughs> Robin's wondering how someone as um, unintelligent as Cinderblock could have possibly formulated a plan like all of this. Breaking into a prison, releasing Plasmus onto the city is not really his style. So, and Cyborg agrees. And back at the evil hideout, if you haven't figured it out yet, Slade is the evil <laughs> villain. And uh, he pulls a Dr. Claw and says, I'll get you next time, Titans. Next time! <laughs> Clearly, Slade is no different than any other secretive supervillain here. <laughs> However, we all know that changes very soon down the line. Yes. So, what are you thinking? What I'm thinking is that synopsis took you less than four minutes. That might be the shortest synopsis that we've done in a long time. Well, this is a very straightforward episode. And I think that's going to be the way it is for this initial batch of Titan episodes. Probably until we get to... Now watch, I'm saying this now and watch when I synopsize, what do I have next? Sisters, it'll take me like 15 minutes or something, you know? But honestly, I think we're just going to have like these short synopsises synopsis, synopsis, whatever, until we get to like Apprentice, the season ender. Mm -hmm. of the first season of Teen, Teen Titans. So that's a little refreshing. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is because even though it's a very straightforward episode, as you said, it still does a really good job showing you who all five of the main heroes are. You know, it doesn't get too deep, which is a bit of a gripe, nitpick, whatever, that, that I have with this initial batch of episodes, specifically this one. But, again, I, I just got to repeat myself. It still does a really good job showing you who these characters are, setting up their world, 
and introducing Slade as the big bad that will plague them for seasons. You know, is this the best episode in the world? Was it the best way for the show to start? No, I don't think so. But it's still really enjoyable, nonetheless. What about you? Totally agree. I think this one accomplished exactly what it set out to do. It uh, you know, gave us the inkling of the big bad villain. It uh, show, I think it showed us in little ways the unique personalities of the Titans, you know, how how they act, their dialogue style, their speech patterns and whatnot, like stuff like that. But mm-hmm. and you know, it was it was mostly action. And since this is geared towards kid more towards kids, then that's probably the best way to start, I think. Yeah. Need I say Ron Perlman in a leading role? Yes, please. <laughs> yes. I forgot that Slade was in the very first episode. I honestly did. I knew he popped up early. But then once this one got rolling, I was like, oh, yeah, Slade is in this one. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) It is kind of funny that this one, though, was the third one to air on TV. Oh, was it? I didn't realize that. Okay. What was the first? It was the first in production. uh, I think the first one was Final Exam. Because I think it is a little odd that they have... They, they produced this one first, and they, they're already having two teammates just bicker and yell at each other and to the point of one of them leaving the team. See, it's a little odd, but I like it all the same, because this isn't your standard, we have to form the team, and, you know, everything's hunky-dory kind of origin story. I mean, this team's been together for Lord knows how long, And they've already got issues, Mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, the best way to start, no, it it probably isn't, you know, starting with uh, final, final exam probably was the, of this batch probably was the best one to start with, but all the same, I do like it. I do like the fact that we don't get an origin for five seasons. I mean, we don't get it until the episode, what's it called? Go. I th- yeah, I think that is it. Yeah, which is like I think in the middle, if not near the end of the last season, and uh, it was just it was just different because I mean, look at go back to um, uh, uh, Secret Origin. I, I always forget Secret Origin Origins. Origins. There we go. Yeah, you know they have to bring the Justice League together, and that takes up a lot of time. You have to introduce all these characters, and here it's just like, well, no pun intended, just Titans go. You know, but uh, get, getting back to some of this, something we were talking about earlier. What I find amazing about this is that Robin is the only one of these characters who's ever, to my knowledge, been on TV before. I don't think there's ever been a Cyborg, Raven, Beast Boy, or Starfire no. on in a cartoon or anything before this. But again, they, they're able to establish who they are. You know, when you're putting together the Justice League, you know, you really don't have to establish who Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman and the Flash are, you know, you you kind of have to establish who the new Green Lantern is because it's not the the guy most people grew up with, like on the Super Friends and whatnot. And you probably got to uh, in- introduce Hawkgirl. And they took their time over there, and here they just didn't. It's just like here they are, here they are, roll with it. But I will say I think this episode is a little too fast paced for the drama they were going for. Yes, I completely agree. I never felt. Like, Cyborg was gone long enough for him to really be missed. As you said in your synopsis, Robin mostly misses him because, you know, he has to do the guy's chores 
And, you know, he feels bad that he's beaten the guy's high score and he doesn't know if he'll ever have the chance to compete against him him again. It's a little shallow in that regard. <laughs> well, look who his teacher was. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is quite true. And they never even bother to say why Cyborg returned, how he knew to go to, to that specific warehouse, how he knew exactly where to find and save Robin. He just pops up and it's like, oh, hey, buddy, we're all good. Let's go beat up some bad guys. In real time, I have no idea how long it took Cyborg to rejoin the team, but in episode time, what was it, like six minutes? Seven <laughs> minutes? That, yeah, yeah. Right, episode time, it's just a few minutes. In continuity time... There's the dirty word. Um, <laughs> you know, it really is. He leaves. They mope around the tower. And then they they, they, they have to fight Plasmus, and, and that's it. I mean, it really couldn't have been more than a few hours that he was gone. Speaking of uh, Plasmus, when, when they finally did defeat him with the Sonic Boom thing, it, you know, he's, all the sludge starts, like, dissipating, and they see the guy guy who's i think is not even given a name yeah uh he's he's asleep i i honestly have to think they did that just because if they had him just laying there motionless it would have looked like he was dead yeah exactly which i which sucks because have him just there sleeping is pretty silly i have yeah. to say <laughs> not really in a good way no yeah during the episode i was wondering what would have happened to plasmus or the guy who is Plasmus, if they each defeated those individual parts, is he then broken into five pieces? And, you know what I'm saying? Would yeah, and how is he controlling all of them? Is he like Clayface with Annie? Or right. What? Yeah, I mean, they don't have to explain it. It's just one of those things where I look at it and go, ooh, what would happen? <laughs> <laughs> now, what are you thinking about these villains? Um, obviously, we don't get a whole lot of Slade, so we'll save discussion about him for a later time. Mm -hmm. uh, but about Cinderblock and um, Plasmus here. I think we both know Cinderblock comes back a few times. Oh, multiple times, yeah. Yeah, I, I know Plasmus Plas is around for a few episodes, too. Yeah, I think that's all right. I mean, I, I really think they sold Plasmus with Beast Boy, just saying two words. When they're saying, when they get the alert and they're in the Titan's Tower and they say, what is it, Cinderblock again? And Beast Boy just says, you wish. Oh, yeah. They yeah. Re they really did sell Plasmus very well just with that one little line. So that was that was pretty well done. And Plasmus certainly is a, a problem for them if they don't have somebody who can shoot energy beams like Cyborg does. Mm -hmm. As far as Cinderblock goes, not crazy about him just because is he a mutant? Is he Was he created from... I don't know, toxic sludge hitting concrete or yeah. what, what the hell happened? How did this guy form? And he, he doesn't say a word. So he just yeah. like, <laughs> I'm agreeing with what, a lot of what you're saying there. I mean, Plasmus really does come off as a legit threat to the Titans, but yeah, Cinderblock is just, he's kind of just your typical strong guy, villain type character. He's like the Titans juggernaut. Basically. Pretty much so. Yeah. I do find it interesting, though, that Beast Boy's claws, when he turns into a bird or whatever, can scratch and hurt him, and Robin can just kick him in the face and hurt him. You know, it's sort of like... But these guards are shooting him, and they don't hurt him at all. Exactly, exactly my point. I mean, I could buy 
you know the th- you know the three truly super powered members of the team cyborg raven and starfire being able to hurt him but robin kicking him in the head and beast boy scratching him that seemed a little curious to me <laughs> come friends i shall thank you for my rescue by reciting the poem of gratitude all 6000 verses <laughs> I see you haven't changed a bit. When we were little, I was always rescuing Starfire. <laughs> Sister! Brought you a present. <gasps> a Centauri Moon Diamond? Where did you get? On the Centauri Moons, of course. Oh, look, it matches your eyes. You must meet my friends. I wish to introduce my big sister, Blackfire. And since Star told me all about the Titans in her transmissions, let me guess. Cyborg. Pleased to meet you, little lady. Little lady, big handshake. Well, all right. Raven. I like that gemstone on your Ajna chakra. You know about chakras? I got way into meditation on Altara Prime. Beast Boy, what's up? Nothing but the ceiling, baby. <laughs> Good one. See? She thinks I'm funny. Statistically, I suppose someone has to. And you must be Robin. Oh, I am loving this cape. It's positively luscious. Thanks. It's a high-density polymerized titanium. Ten times stronger than steel. Fascinating. And this mask makes you look very mysterious. So, beloved sister, what brings you to Earth? I was in the quadrant. Thought I'd see if Earthlings liked to party. Next up is Sisters. In this one, Robin and Starfire, they are on a Ferris wheel. And they are enjoying the sights of a carnival, that being the fireworks. And uh, they're also eating some cotton candy. And Starfire makes a joke saying, oh, the last time I ate some cotton... Didn't taste like candy or something like that. And uh, as they're sitting there flirting, they actually are flirting and getting kind of close. This squid thing comes flying out of nowhere. I was thinking of another another phrase, tentacle monster. (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to be kind. Um, Don't worry, I'll say it for you. Okay, grabs Starfire and takes her away. Robin is freaked out. He gathers the troops and uh, they try to chase it down. By the time I find it, Starfire has gotten herself free, and uh, but the thing is still chasing her. The Titans assault the probe, and uh, they're able to destroy it. Let's see. They then go back to Titan's Tower. I think they're trying to figure out why this probe was attacking Starfire, just out of the blue. And uh, while they're there, there's someone in the tower... And Starfire gasps, happily, I should say, at the sight of this young woman, because it is her sister, Blackfire. And uh, Blackfire is everything Starfire is not. She seems to understand Earth culture. She's got a full grasp on the language. Um, she's very... I, don't, I was going to say outgoing. I mean, Starfire is outgoing, but she's much more outgoing. Um, a little more forceful. Very, very extroverted. Exactly. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. And uh, when she sees her sister, she presents her with this green gem, which she says, you know, matches her eyes. 
and uh, she she starts ingratiating herself with the rest of the team. Uh, meanwhile, we cut into space, and uh, three of those squid proby things <laughs> fly back into a spaceship, and uh, we see some aliens, and they're talking about um, how they can't locate the girl, and uh, so so they don't know what to do. And some, one of them says, no, I think we do know where she is, because look, one of the probes didn't return, and that was the probe we sent to Earth. So they send the remaining three probes out again, back to Earth. The gang, they all go out clubbing, because Blackfire wants to do this. Uh, meanwhile, Blackfire has dressed up like her sister for some weird reason. Um, Starfire is starting to feel like the odd man out, because she sees her friends becoming really chummy with this girl, with her sister, and it's just it's just making her feel really sad. Like, I don't know, like her friends don't want her around, and Robin tries to console her, but Blackfire basically drags him back downstairs to start dancing again. Uh, the three probes show up, and the Titans have to band together to fight them. Let's see, they do defeat the probes. No, 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 I take that back. They don't defeat the probes. Blackfire actually defeats the probes pretty easily. Robin questions her and says, how did you know where to shoot them to destroy them. And she's like, oh, I just got lucky. Of course, she's lying. At some point, some aliens show up, and the Titans, you know, they start beating up on that ship. And uh, when it lands, because they, they grab Starfire, and uh, when it lands, the, the, all the guys, they're like, um, yeah, we, we want this, this, this girl because, you know, she's a thief. She's wanted in, like, 20 solar systems or something. And, uh, you know, we're, we're the police. And the Titans are like, but we're the good guys. You can't be the good guys. <laughs> and uh, I love Beast Boy. Yeah. They quickly, Robin, I should say, actually quickly figures out that um, it's Blackfire that they're after. So he takes the gem off of Starfire's neck, hands it back to the police, and they say, you know, that girl who's flying away right now behind us, see, 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 she's the one you want. And uh, Starfire confronts her sister. They fight. And uh, before the fight between them can truly end, one of the alien policemen grab Blackfire and uh, bring her into custody. And she pulls a Slade or Dr. Claw or whatever and is like, I'll get my revenge on you, Starfire. And uh, I find it interesting that the first two pretty much ended the same way in that regard. <laughs> Robin, if I remember correctly, he has one more scene with Starfire where he basically says, you know, what was wrong with you? Why were you feeling so sad? And she's like, well, you know, you guys were going to replace me. Because Cyborg at one point did actually invite Blackfire to join the team. And Robin's like, look, you know, no one could ever replace you. And uh, I think that's it for the episode, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so what were you thinking? Not one of my favorites. I don't really like to watch this episode, even though I've seen it. I don't even know how many times. Uh, but uh, it's solid. It's not bad. It just has a lot of little things wrong with it that bug me. Before I jump into the, my little gripes with it, um, I have a question. Do one of those space police guys get called Lobo? Oh, I didn't notice that. Maybe. I, I can't remember which. I, I think it was when they are talking about how the probe didn't return from Earth or something. Hmm. I do know that when Starfire and Robin were on the Ferris wheel, did you notice uh, who Starfire name-checked? She uh, mentioned the, Gord the Gordanians. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, sweet. Very cool. Yep. Mm. Very nice. But, I, but I'm sorry. I'll continue. You were saying. Well, well I was going to I'll piggyback off that real quick because um, I think... I don't know when this episode exactly aired, but... Um, 2003. So it would have been right around the time... Well, it would have been a little bit before Starcross, correct? I don't know. I don't know when Starcross aired. Not off the top of my head. Okay. Anyway, but there are a little 
bunch of little problems I have with this. Uh, Blackfire knows fluent English, mm-hmm. even though she's been on. This is the first time she's ever been to this planet. Mm-hmm. And then, furthermore, she's in that dance club. She says, "I love this song." Mm-hmm. This is her first time on Earth. How would she have heard the song? <laughs> I I really think she's just loving Earth culture. I wouldn't be surprised if she loved every song she heard because she's just a party girl. Really, she's just the bad girl. Yeah. So I can kind of justify that. But please, please continue with your gripes. Well, I, the policemen are, I mean, they're supposed to be after Blackfire. Yeah. Uh, shouldn't they know what she looks like? <laughs> if she's known, if she's a known criminal in like two dozen galaxies or solar systems or whatever, wouldn't they know she has a different hair color, different <laughs> eye color, different outfit? She wears armor. Yeah. <laughs> Something, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is true. At, 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 at that moment, she is dressed like her sister, and she is wearing a pink wig. But still, the sisters, <laughs> they do look different enough. Where if you grab Starfire, you'd go, not the girl we're looking for. <laughs> and uh, th- and this is at the in the credits. Slade is mentioned in the credits. Ah! He ain't in this episode. Whoopsie. <laughs> Yeah, what is a static shock? Yeah. <laughs> I'm through griping for now. I have some more notes. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I like this one because I like I like Starfire-centric episodes for the most part. She's just a great character, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I think... She's so lovable. <laughs> yeah, th- that's, that's kind of what I'm going for. You know, I think she's one of those characters that pretty much anybody who views this can latch on to because we've all been that awkward outsider from time to time and we've all had our cool friend or our cool sibling come into our clique and gel with them maybe better than we ever thought we did you know so that's what this episode's about so i think it works on that level and i do enjoy it but again not the deepest most impactful episode they've ever done but it is fun Nonetheless, I will say the only gripe I really wrote down with this one was I thought the music was really weak. Yeah. And, you know, when when they're doing the club scene, the music shouldn't be weak. It should be pretty strong. And I've noticed that in the episodes that will follow this one, too. You know, I remembered Teen Titans music being really strong throughout every episode. But it's like they just haven't got their hold or the, their grasp on the the soundtrack of this show yet. That, that was kind of a letdown. But at the same time, it was interesting to see where they started and knowing where they would end up. Just seeing that kind of uh, growth that would happen. Going back to something you said about how Blackfire, you know, it's her first time on the planet. And she's got a very clear grasp of the language. Better than her sister, who's been on this planet for... Six months, a year, two years, we don't know. Do you remember how Starfire, uh, how it's revealed that she learns languages? Not just she, but her people. Actually, I don't. Okay, in Trouble in Tokyo and in Go, um, it's revealed that she, when if she kisses someone, she can learn the language. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because in Trouble right. in Tokyo, she kisses the, uh, the, the Japanese boy. She kisses him, and Robin gets super jealous. Yeah, and then right. in I Go, about that. right, and then in Go, she kisses him, and that's how she learns English. 
Well, um, considering Blackfire's personality, I think she might have done more than kiss someone to learn the language. This is true. And maybe that's why she's a little more fluent. Who knows? <laughs> but she <laughs> shut the language out of him. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that would be, that'd be a hilarious, like, <laughs> Titans Grow up, 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 up episode. After it's clear Starfire and Robin have had sex, she's got a better grasp on the language. <laughs> Someone needs to make that into, like, I don't know, like a four-panel comic online or something. Yeah, yeah. learning language through cum. <laughs> Let's see, what else What else to say about this one? Um, Dumpster alert. Oh, was there? What? what Starfire, is? Starfire gets knocked into a dumpster, and when that after Cyborg invites her to join the team, she's like, because ah! she, she like right. lifts out of the dumpster. And isn't she taken away in a dumpster too? Was that this episode? Uh, no, There's... she she's not. She she and Robin are on the roof, and she's uh, snatched by one of the cops, and Robin somehow manages to cling to the bottom of their ship. Yeah, there's one episode in this group, and I don't remember which one it was, where I could swear I remember Starfire being trapped in a dumpster, being taken away, and you hear her screaming, and I'm like, hello, you're Starfire. It's it's just a steel dumpster. Blow it up. Yeah. And I, But again, I don't remember which episode it was. I really thought it was this one, but maybe not. Maybe I'm making that up. I don't know. No, I, I think you're right, actually. I have to mention the very Sailor Moon-esque fly-up scene when Starfire, like, they have that, that really happy music playing, and she's flying up towards her sister who's blasting at her in the sky, and yeah. it's very Sailor Moon-esque, and her, the animation on her face when they close up on her is strange. It almost mm. reminded me of Thundercats for some reason. Really? Okay. That's animation style. Huh. I, I wasn't picking up on that. Well, I mean, and after this, after that kind of weird animation they have some really great animation on her face when she is just super pissed and yeah. her eyes are glowing and her hands are glowing and she's about to just lay into her sister yeah oh yeah um the probes the other three that were sent down mm-hmm. why did they know how to attack the titans the first probe was destroyed how would they know the relationship of the titans to the tamaranians if you remember starfire was on the roof of the club and beast boy saw her fighting the probe, and then did he uh, did he go up to attack it? What happened? Or did it invade the club and start beating sure. them up? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the latter. The, they burst through the, the ceiling yeah. slash roof and attack Cyborg and uh, Beast Boy. The only way I can even think to justify it is maybe the probes were going after things that were not human. I mean, sure, they'd probably be programmed to go after Tamaranians, but, I mean, if you think about it, Robin's truly the only human on the team. Beast Boy and Cyborg, sure, but they've been altered in, in one way or another. So maybe they were just going after non-humans? I, I don't know. That's a good point I never even thought of, and I'm having trouble justifying it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love how when they're fighting, Raymond's just talking with this, like, emo guy in the yeah. corner. Yeah. Do you and like par- show tunes? <laughs> <laughs> Everything's pointless. Want yeah. to go talk about it? <laughs> yeah, and then they just walk off. Yeah, Raven just shrugs, like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, in the Teen Titans Go comic book series, that guy is Raven's boyfriend. Oh my god, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I like that guy because Raven's got no real reason to be at that club, and then this goth emo guy, whatever, shows up. You know, <laughs> she's just like becomes infatuated in her own Raven sort of way. <laughs> well, Mister Slade. 
Impressive, truly. However, robots and obstacle courses only prove so much. My plans demand operatives who can function in the real world. If your students are going to serve me, they'll have to pass one final exam. Destroy the Teen Titans, and then we'll talk. And next up is Final Exam. In this one, we get an infomercial-type opening to this episode with uh, a headmaster of a of an institute introducing three young, quote-unquote, students from the Hive, who are basically for hire as a mercenary team of sorts. Uh, one of them is a little guy named Gizmo, who is a technological genius. And uh, then the second one is sort of a goth girl named Jinx, who has magical powers that cause bad luck to her enemies and opponents. Uh, basically, think Pippi Longstocking with platform boots on <laughs> yeah. and pink hair. Yeah. And uh, the third one is just your garden variety, genetically modified strong guy yeah. named Mammoth. And the headmaster presents them to none other, other than Slade. <gasps> Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, he says, okay, kill the Titans, and then we'll talk. Lights go down. We get the credits. Uh, after the credits, the Titans are arguing over where the remote control is. <laughs> Raven's yelling at Cyborg. Cyborg yells back, back and forth, back and forth. And Starfire suggests making up over some junk food. And she opens the fridge. And as the others are arguing, this... Hang on, I'm going to interrupt. Do you notice that the remote is in the fridge? I didn't notice that. Yeah, I'm no. 99% sure I saw the remote covered in that purple goop in the fridge, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I didn't uh, notice that. Yeah. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, though, but I thought I saw I thought I saw it. That would be a great gag if that's where it was, and yeah. Starfire just didn't even notice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it, it, there's all this blue goo in the uh, fridge, and it starts to move or something. <laughs> it, and, like burps or something. Yeah. <laughs> and and she, just, she just, like, screams and blasts the fridge, and all this blue shit goes everywhere, and... Robin's like, you know what, let's just go get pizza, okay? <laughs> so while they're at the restaurant, the uh, three Hive students execute uh, their plan. They throw a baby carriage into the middle of the street while a bus starts hurtling towards it. Then they stop the bus and they push the carriage away. But alas, there is no baby and the bus has no driver. The teddy bear in the carriage blasts Robin, Starfire, and Beast Boy across the street. And Mammoth just very rudely drops the bus on top of Raven and Cyborg. Uh, well, really, is there a polite way to do it? <laughs> you have a point. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so the Titans don't take kindly to this. They start getting their asses kicked really all over the place, and uh, after all the Titans are beaten down except for Robin, Robin prepares to take on all three of them by himself, but they execute this trifecta attack and send Robin plummeting into the sewers where he just completely vanishes. Nobody knows where he is. The Titans return home. They're pretty distraught at not being able to find Robin despite searching for hours. Suddenly, the Hive members attack again, and they actually do force the Titans out of their own home. And we should note that Cyborg actually loses an arm during this run around. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty fucked up. It is. Gizmo... Act- jumps on Cyborg's back and like and takes control of his systems by hacking him and he he just arbitrarily uses the eject arm and just shoots his arm off. <laughs> yeah. Jinx causes the waves around the Titan Tower to just w- completely wash them away and they they reappear about a 
I don't know, a mile, two miles away from the tower, and they really think that they're finished. This is it. They don't know where Robin is. They lost their home. They've been, they've just had their asses kicked twice, and Robin just appears behind them and says, no, it's not over if he can help it. I don't know how much time passes here because the hive has turned the tower into a giant H. Yeah. And I'm not understanding this because you have to assume that that construction has taken several days, if not weeks. Yeah. But the hive members act as if they've just become acclimated to their new home. Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> I mean, it's a cool visual, but as you said, it doesn't make sense timeline-wise. Nope. <laughs> but anyway, the uh, Titans start to execute their own plan, and uh, Cyborg's arm, which has been turned into a trophy... Uh, turns on and uh, activates the building's defenses and actually hijacks Gizmo and just rockets him to the roof. And uh, the other two are unceremoniously forced to join them there, too. So, yeah, the Titans turn the tables on the Hive. They use they use their, their powers and special talents against them. And uh, after the Titans defeat the Hive, Gizmo mentions that he's going to call Slade, and Robin grabs him and demands to know who that is. Gizmo pretty much just tells Robin to go fuck himself. Um, <laughs> In Gizmo's own language, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. He, he's a potty mouth. If you really listen to some of the yeah. stuff he's saying, <laughs> What's a clutch head? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, anyway, the headmaster assures Slade that her students will be severely punished for their failure. But uh, Slade says he never expected them to win, and that they actually succeeded in his real purpose, delivering a message. And the message was simply his name. And that's where it ends. Yeah. What um, do you think? I'm going to tell you, I like this one. I really do. Um, because I think it sets up these three as legit threats to these five heroes. I mean, the, the Hive, they're outnumbered greatly. And they took the Titans down, as you said, twice. And they took out Robin, who has pretty much the most experience out of all of them. Mm-hmm. But there's still something about this episode that really bothers me every time I watch it. And it's how Jinx is ultimately taken out with all the girders falling on top of her. Like, that's a demise for Mammoth. Yeah. Not a very thin young girl. I mean, sure, she could probably use her magic to put some sort of, like, force bubble around herself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, that's a pretty brutal end for, you know, again, you're used to that for, you know, the super strong characters or the husky characters, not the petite ones. And it it just bothers me. It really does. Because I'm like, oh, no, she's a pink pancake now. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, but uh, despite that, you know, again, yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good, fun episode, and I really like um, the way Raven is helping Beast Boy back to the tower because uh, at that point only they know Robin's missing, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and they're both worried. I mean, they really are. I mean, Raven's showing it in her own Raven way, but she's still worried. And then the other two show up, and they're you know they're all like, "Hey, do we win the fight?" You know, and then it's all like, "Oh wait, where's Robin?" And they freak out and. And Starfire especially. Exactly, exactly. Um, I really like the way they're handling the Starfire-Robin relationship. It's a lot like what they were doing with the John Shaira relationship. It just doesn't come out of the blue. It isn't forced on us in an episode. They're letting it grow. And they're dropping little clues that these two really do have feelings for each other. So yeah, you know, this episode does that, right? What about you? 
I don't know, the, the time was played with way too loosely. Yeah, yeah. In there. I, I mean, I just don't get it. How long did they have control of that tower? Yeah. It, may, it really, it, it's a big, big point off for this episode. <laughs> um, and something else I want to know, I mean, so when the Hive took over the tower, that was, a, was that a failure in Slade's eyes? I mean, honestly, he said all they wanted, all he wanted to do, them to do was, you know, send a message. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if the Teen Titans had quit and Robin never came back? I mean, would would Slave have just said, "Well, shit, I didn't count on that." <laughs> um, that's a good question that I never thought of. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably that, their success. Probably was a failure in his eyes. <laughs> It would, it would have been so funny. ass backwards. <laughs> it would have been funny if Slade just like shot a rocket at the tower and was like, "You fools! <laughs> I didn't want you to win." <laughs> However, my my favorite part of this episode is Jinx. Just awesome character. Very yeah, love very creepy mm-hmm. and creepy in a good way. Yeah. They, when she she's like uh, just kind of casually sauntering after Beast Boy, who's trying to run away from her in the tower. She's just like, here, kitty, kitty. Afraid of a little bad luck. And she's just tilting her head back and forth and just smiling, grinning at him. It's like, stay away from me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, of course, it doesn't happen until the fifth season, but I love the eventual character turn they do with Jinx, too. Yes, and of course, Kid Flash is involved in that. Exactly. We all, I know, I I love, we all know I love Kid Flash, so, Hmm. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this episode, I'm sure it wasn't supposed to be an homage, but every time I see it, I can't help but think of... Okay, I'm just being vague. I'll get to the point. Okay, here's the point. When, at one point, Mammoth like like just plows his head through a wall, and he sees Raven and Starfire, and he's like, Hello, ladies. Mm-hmm. I just think of Vale Venus every yeah. single time. <laughs> yes! I mean, for those of you who don't know who Vale Venus is, he was a wrestler who his gimmick was, he was a porn star, and his catchphrase was, Hello, ladies. And so, again, I'm, I don't think it was an homage, but I seriously, I, I'm just like, Okay, that's Vale Venus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When clearly, if they were trying to make an homage, it was to The Shining, but, I mean... Exactly. Right, But yeah. still, that is such a Val Venus. I mean, it, it, it really, it sounded exactly like him. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And the another line... Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> another line we have to bring up is the mentioning of Gotham City. Cyborg says it. You know, again, whether you believe this is in the DCAU or not, they're still at least setting it in some DC continuity. I really hesitate to bring this up, but, I mean, it's what we do. Okay. Um, Beast Boy, while, while they're about to, when they're about to defeat the Hive at, near the end of the episode, he, uh, he turns into a monkey, and uh, he jumps right on Jinx's face. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You watch that, and you can just get the, uh, the innuendo right there. <laughs> Somehow I never picked up on that. Good for you, sir. <laughs> oh, how did I, of all people, miss that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. But I bet if when you watch this episode again, you'll be looking for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're focusing on that, not Jinx getting crushed by the girders. Did you notice who was playing the headmistress of Hive? That was Andrea Romano, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. When it, it, It's a weird thing. It's like, you know, she hasn't done 
Well, I mean, maybe she used to be a voice actress. I don't know. But as far as the DCU, she hasn't done a ton. She's done a voice here and there. But when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's Andrea Romano. Because she's got such a distinct voice. I mean, I've made no bones about the fact that I've got a crush on her. I don't care if she's in her 50s or whatever. You know, her voice is part of that crush. It's kind of a husky, almost sultry voice. And she's not doing a sultry voice here. It just sounds sultry to my ears. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I do wonder why they used her and they didn't bring in someone else. Maybe it's because it was just a handful of lines. It wasn't worth the time of casting someone else or what. I'm just curious about that. I don't know. But I think it worked because she was, she did, she, her voice was pretty much perfect for that character. Exactly. Your gifts are your own. Who are they to tell you how to use them? And who are you that commands such power? Show yourself! As you wish. I am but a humble old man whose power is drawn from nature like your own. Come with me and sow as much destruction as you please. Yes! More fun! Will we harm anyone? What? The green one has poisoned your mind. This destruction, will we harm the innocent? Would it matter if you did? You are unique, gifted, better. Why should anything interfere with your enjoyment? I am going. Follow if you wish. Come, brother, and leave your foolish thoughts behind. Next up is Forces of Nature. Okay, now I have to ask something before I get into the synopsis. Okay. Thunder and Lightning, are they legitimately the mythological beings that control Thunder and Lightning, or are they just two superpowered humans that have control over Thunder and Lightning, because they play it both ways at times during this episode, because they go up into the clouds, and BB and Thunder have that talk, and it's got this very Asian mythological flair to it, but then at other times, they make it seem like they are just humans with superpowers, so what's your take on it? I have no idea at all. All I know is these characters are based off of uh, Teen Titans, characters in the comics and Mm -hmm. they are humans in the comics but i mean really here i lean towards the actual mythological forces so do i so that's that's what i'll go with okay okay um so yeah it starts out with thunder and lightning and you know they're in the sky you know causing thunder and lightning because you know that that's what they do so anyways um they they bring themselves down to earth and you know what they just this is another thing that makes me think that they're mythological is because they don't get it they don't get that they're hurting people whether you want to call them gods or forces of nature or whatever they they might not understand that they're hurting people but if they were people themselves they should understand that you know what i'm saying there yeah but uh yeah they're causing havoc on a highway you know blasting trucks uh graffitiing them basically <laughs> lightning puts a lightning bolt in one of them um the Teen Titans show up, a fight ensues, and, uh... Oh, I, I completely forgot the thing with the oil ball. That's this one, too. I'll get back to that. I'll get back yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the Titans show up, and, you know, this giant fight ensues, and uh, at one point, Beast Boy... I thought this was really interesting. Beast Boy gets in Thunder's face, and, you know, he's like, What are you doing? 
And Thunder's like, ho, 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 silly little green one. We're just having fun. And Beast Boy, he points to all the scared people on the highway. And he's like, does it look like they're having fun? And uh, Thunder turns around. He's like, oh, shit, no. At some point, he and Lightning, Lightning you know, is because they're brothers, you know, he's able to persuade him to fly off. Let's see, they, they land at, like, in front of some building, and they start causing some more havoc. Uh, Robin tells the team to split up to find them. Um, and he pairs up Beast Boy and Starfire to take to the skies. Now, the reason this is significant is because how this episode started, at least from the Titans aspect, is uh, Beast Boy was setting up a practical joke for her Cyborg, where he created this, like, giant slingshot, and instead of a water balloon, he put this balloon with, like, motor oil in it. And uh, when Cyborg was to step, like, uh, like trigger a rope, you know, break, break a string or something... Um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? For some reason, that's not coming out right. But basically, trigger the trap, okay? The, mm. the, 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 the oil balloon ball thingy was supposed to smash him in the face, and everybody would laugh. So, uh, Beast Boy grabs Raven, because she's like, what are you doing? And so he explains this to her, and they go hide in the corner. And uh, at one point, you hear Cyborg's voice, and he's like, who are we hiding from? And Beast Boy's like, Cyborg. And he's like, oh, no! Like, what's going on? And uh, it turns out Starfire's coming around the corner. She triggers the trap. It hits her in the face. And Beast Boy never really apologizes to her. Because he gets flustered. He, do he doesn't know what to say. Um, so she's mad at him through about half the episode. And uh, so this is why they really don't want to team up together to go to, the, you know, go to the skies and look for these guys. Um, but Robin says, you guys have to do it. Sorry. I'm the leader. Pulling rank. Get up there. So <laughs> they find Thunder and Lightning. Another fight uh, happens. Um, and during the fight, uh, Starfire, it appears that she's crushed underneath just like tons and tons of rubble. And uh, Beast Boy, he, he's trying to trying to get her out. I realized the point I missed. I'm going to get back to it. Don't worry. Beast Boy is trying to get her out. And he's like, oh, my God, Starfire, I'm so sorry. I never said I'm sorry, but I really am. Please be alive. Please, please be alive. She comes up behind him, and she's like, I'm okay, and I do forgive you. Now, let's go find these guys and kick their asses. Yo. That's not what she says, but, you know. Well, anyways, <laughs> what happened during that fight was... Um, your kind of stereotypical mythical Asian guy shows up and he demonstrates some super ability, but it's really just some machinery. He tells them, he's like, you're thunder and you're lightning. You know, you should be able to do what you want. Blah, 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 blah. Let's go wreak some havoc. They go off and they, they start destroying like what just appear to be like straw dummies. And, you know, they're like, this isn't fun. But then the dummies start just like bursting into these big flames. And then they're like, oh, this is great. Once they're done destroying all of them, I think it's Lightning who says something to the effect of, oh, let's destroy some more. And this 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 mysterious Asian fellow all of a sudden is like, no, you've done your part. We see that the, 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 the dummies, in quotes, were lined up in like a human-shaped thing. And it's just this giant fire beast comes up and it starts heading towards the town. The Titans, they catch up with them at some point. They're trying to stop the fire beast from destroying this town because if the town goes, the city will probably go too. Let's see, at some point, uh, Robin gets a good look at this, at this mysterious fellow, gives chase, and uh, they start fighting. And Thunder and Lightning, they see this thing and, you know, they're like, and Beast Boy and Thunder, they have a couple conversations throughout the episode. I know I didn't mention that, um, but I know I just did. So there you go. Well, anyways, <laughs> what do you call it? Thunder and Lightning, they, they start talking and they're like, look, you know, Thunder's like, look at them. You know, they have superpowers and they're using them for good, not for fun, senseless destruction. We should be doing the same thing. And Lightning's like, but what can we do? Our powers just cause fire. Look. And uh, he's like, individually, that's true. 
but together we have another power. So they fly up into the clouds and they, they let their powers loose and they create just this giant storm that, is, you know, just the wind and the rain is able to destroy the fire creature. In the meantime, Robin and this fellow, they're fighting and uh, the fellow actually has the upper hand on Robin and a lightning bolt hits him in the face or the staff or something, causing his face to fall off, basically. He was wearing a mask and underneath... We see another mask, <laughs> and it's Slade, and he drops some some disc, and there's some uh, Oriental characters on there, and Robin picks it up, and he says Slade. So I, I don't know, maybe the symbol means Slade, maybe it means Terminator, because of course it's you know Slade Deathstroke the Terminator. I don't know, I don't know, but this is Robin's first encounter with the person that will become his arch nemesis. Um, do we get anything else with Thunder and Lightning before the episode ends? I can't remember. They apologize oh, to yeah. Beast yeah. Boy, and, and Beast Boy says, well, you know, it was Starfire that made me realize, you know, all this and that. So. so what were you thinking there? Average. Not one I'll turn off out of spite by any, mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination, but it's not one I'll go out of my way to watch at all either. I, I really, I have four notes for this episode. That's just... <laughs> That's Same how number much, I have, okay. That's <laughs> how much I care about this episode. I did like Pearl, uh, Ron Perlman's voice inflection in the disguise. Yeah. You can tell it's Slade, but only barely. And right, yeah. It, it, it was good. I liked it. And it, really, the, the bit of animation there for like the 35, 40 seconds, whatever it was with Beast Boy and Thunder in the mm-hmm. Asian style, that was pretty fucking awesome, if, if not totally random. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they never bother to explain how they're able to do that. They just are roll with it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. And uh oh loved the uh homage to Goku from Dragon Ball Z with the thunder thunder riding that small cloud. Oh, see oh that's not something I would pick up on, but okay. Okay. Cool. And uh oh and uh and Raven totally went Chun Li on lightning with the rapid kicking. But oh, yeah. But my question is, she's a telekinetic. Why is she using martial arts? Is she telekinetic? Well, she can lift things with her mind. Well, I just always assumed that was her demonic, magical powers. I didn't know oh. if she was telekinetic. Okay, well, I mean, I basically the same thing at this okay. point. Okay, okay, sure. Point. So, yeah, I'm just, I was just wondering why she's kicking at this guy. Uh, you know, I can, I can justify that because, I mean, honestly, her powers aren't always going to be able to uh, defend her. She's not going to be able to use them to defend herself, is what I mean to say. You know, she she has to learn basic fighting skills. This goes back to that thing we were talking about ages ago, where I, I noticed how Superman was actually grabbing someone, like yeah. legitimately fighting him, not just punching him. Ten and, in the Royal Flesh uh, Gang. Right, and I think, I think I had suggested that that means Batman must have taught him how to fight because Superman wouldn't always be able to use his powers or if he got kryptonite exposed to kryptonite, you know, he might have to just resort to just, you know, human-level strength or whatever. So I would just go with Robin's taught her how to fight. That's true. And maybe not even Robin because in Nevermore we see there's this whole fighting, almost marine side of her. So maybe she learned her fighting skills somewhere else. I don't know. I shouldn't. I shouldn't suggest that it's Robin, but uh, yeah, I, I can go with it. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What about you? Uh, I like this one. I think it's probably of the uh, of the stories that aren't like two or three parts long. I think this is probably the one I've seen the most. 
Not necessarily of my own choosing, though. <laughs> it just seemed to be the one that was always on TV when I would be flipping through the channels, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's why I kind of like this one. It's just sort of grown on me. I think the reason I dig this one is because it, it comes down to Beast Boy, the smallest member of the Teen Titans, standing up to the biggest member of this duo. You know, you would you would expect Cyborg or Robin or Starfire, or even Raven to do it. But Beast Boy walks up to him, and he's like, dude, what is your problem? And this guy could crush Beast Boy in a heartbeat without even thinking about it. But it truly shows the heroic side of that character. And he keeps getting in the guy's face over and over and over again. He's made it his mission to make this guy understand that this is not funny and that people are going to get hurt. So, yeah, I really think that's that's one of, if not the main reason why I dig this one. Oh, I gotta, I gotta throw out the line. I'm a what bag? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, that's me just reading into it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. It's, it's funny. No, no. He certainly, he certainly was though. Yeah, he was. He was. I mean, but he didn't mean to hurt her or make her feel bad. He thought it, you know, he thought he was pulling a prank on his buddy who could take that sort of joke. He just doesn't know how to apologize. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I love when he transforms into the little kitty, and he's like, the face, the face, and then she ignores the face. She and... resisted the face. Yeah. And then when she does forgive him, he turns into the cat again and jumps into her arms, and it's real sweet. Over in Justice League, they say the Flash is the heart of the team, and that's true, but Superman is as well. But with this team, you've, just in these, what what is this, our fourth episode? Yeah. You know, you've come to understand that Beast Boy really is the heart and soul of this team. I mean, Starfire is to a certain extent, too. I mean, she's probably more the conscience of the team. Yes. Where Beast Boy's the heart, but she she's a little bit of the heart. But yeah, I mean, just these couple episodes, you see what Beast Boy means to them. That if something were to happen to him, I'm not saying they would turn into, like, the Titan Lords or anything. But someone needs someone needs to work on those designs. Now that I think about it, but <laughs> what do you call? It? But I do think the team would break up if he were to like fall in battle or something. I could see that. Yeah, that's a total tangent that really had nothing to do with this episode. But there we go. So, um, what do you think about the first meeting between Robin and Slade? I think Slade fights a lot better than how he did in this fight, mm-hmm. though. So it was it was very. Pretty low key for a Robin Deathstroke fight. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. At, at all, it, it, and I would say it was above average in terms of a fight. But it's just not great. It's cool. We yeah. finally got the meet. It yeah. needed to happen. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I will admit, the first time I saw this one, this was the first episode I ever saw with Slade, and I knew who Slade was from the comics, but I was used to people calling him Deathstroke. So when his face, you know, his quote-unquote face, the Asian mask that he's wearing, fell off, I was like, is that supposed to be Clayface? What the fuck? And then they started calling him Slade, and I'm like, Slade, Slade, why is that so familiar? And I was like, oh, it's Deathstroke, durr. You know? (laughs) I want to say, yeah, I want to say that this was the first time I saw Slade, too. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, just the way the face crumbled off, I really thought it was Clayface. I felt like such a dork for getting it wrong. (laughs) I don't get it. All my sensors say I'm fine. Your sensors are incomplete. Mine are more precise. Guess I'm just getting kind of nervous. How long am I going to be down here anyway? 
Repairs could take some time. Besides, why would you want to leave? Look around you. Look at yourself. You belong with us. No, I don't. I mean, you've got a nice place here, and you've been really cool to me, but I couldn't live down here. I don't know how you came. What do you mean? The power supply is adequate. Replacement parts are easy to find. I need more than that. What about sunlight? What about fresh air? What about food? I do not require these things. And when repairs are complete, neither will you. You know what? I'm feeling all right now, so thanks anyway, but I'm just gonna go. Stay. Yo, what are you... Hey! Let me go! Repairs are not yet complete. Your biological components are imperfect and must be replaced. Next up today is the sum of his parts. In this one, the Titans are having some fun in the in the park, eating uh, mustard, and uh, <laughs> that was awesome. I mean, the, yeah. the Starfire mustard thing was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and the, they decided to play some football, except for Raven, of course. She, I'll be the referee. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Cyborg goes out for a pass, but he inexplicably just shuts down and. This, the credits roll at this point, and then after the credits are over, he kind of wakes up, quote-unquote, and it turns out that he needs a new power cell because he just needs a new one every two years or so, and this one happens to be on its last legs. And um, he goes to fix himself, but a kid with a prosthetic arm walks up to him. He's all he's all fanboyish because he's, like, he's just like him. He's, he's in awe of seeing his favorite hero. And uh, Cyborg gets a, a, a Titan alert on his uh, communicator and he has to go and so we see uh, Spongebob Squarepants, I'm sorry, uh, Mumbo the Magician uh, robbing a jewelry store and uh, he flees in Tasmanian Devil style uh, to his, uh, I guess a junkyard hideout and uh, Cyborg appears with like six or eight car batteries strapped to him, to his back in order to help fight this guy and Robin's like, dude, you've got to go home and legit repair yourself. <laughs> but Cyborg refuses to go. And uh, During the fight, Cyborg tackles Mumbo, but he uses this squirting flower to douse him and send him flying across the yard into a truck. And the battery pack is just toast, and he it's almost instantly deactivates without being able to call for help or anything. And so he's thrown into a dumpster, dumpster alert, and the dumpster that he gets thrown into actually has a hole in it, and he falls way, way down into the ground, where all we see are several dark... Or in the dark, we just see several red lights shine in the background. And uh, the Titans, they have no idea what happened to him, but they, they think Mumbo kidnapped him, and uh, we're seeing, we see the cyborg is taken to this underground laboratory where he's charged back up by a guy called Fix-It, and... Fix-It says, no, you can't go. You need more repairs. 
despite the fact that Cyborg's system is actually running perfectly, but uh, because he because Fixit is is secretly screwing with his uh, communicator uh, capabilities, he thinks that he actually is uh, malfunctioning. And in the meantime, the the Titans are trying to find Mumbo, but he is quite elusive since he's a magician. And uh, so we go back to the underground laboratory and fix it and cyborg or they continue to talk and fix it uh is so well fixated on repairing cyborg that cyborg wants to leave he's starting to get kind of creeped out here but uh fix it will not allow him to leave because he feels that his biological parts are a hindrance and they must be replaced with robotic parts cyborg must become a complete robotic being at some point Fix-It's interior body is accidentally revealed, and it looks like he might have been human. It, like, he's got... It's just a bunch of green shit just all in his body. Yeah, it's like mechanical organs. Yeah. It looks like he's got, like, six hearts and maybe some intestine, but yeah, as you said, it's just all green and weird looking. Yeah. And, uh... C- Cyborg tries to escape, but he's subdued, and uh, meanwhile, the Titans stop Mumbo finally by breaking his wand, and once this happens, all of his spells are broken. And Robin demands to know where Cyborg is, but Mumbo has no clue, citing his broken wand. If he had done something to him, he would reappear right in front of them right now. So this means that Cyborg has to be back at the junkyard somewhere. So they go back, and they go into the hole where the battery pack fell through, and they start battling all these junk machines and robots that belong to fix it and uh, fix it prepares to finally remove Cyborg's biological components, but when he attempts to connect to his brain, he starts seeing all of Cyborg's you know, jovial memories with his friends, and it, it overloads his circuits, and he also loses control over his robots, and they shut down. And so the Titans make their way into the laboratory, and they help Cyborg up, and uh, Fix-It says he'd forgotten what it's like to see the world through human eyes, and Cyborg offers to help fix him, and the episode ends back in the park with Cyborg playing football with the uh, the kid with the prosthetic arm and his friends. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, I don't like this one. Me neither. I mean, we've had Plasmus, legit threat. We've had the Hive, legit threat. Thunder and Lightning, I don't know if I'd call him a threat, because... I mean, they just wanted to have fun. Right, they were just misunderstood. I mean, Slade, you know, he's just a threat to Robin. But here, the threat is fucking Mumbo? Like, someone just throw a batarang at his fucking head. Or <laughs> Raven, just engulf him in your cloak. Or Beast Boy, just poop on his face when you're a bird or something, you know? <laughs> I mean, Christ, I was getting so frustrated. I'm like, this is such fucking Filler. Oh. Actually, both parts of this story are total filler because yeah. they're chasing Mumbo around. That's filler. And then we go down to the laboratory, and it's the same scene like three or four times in a row. Yeah. But I like my biological parts. You need to be fixed. But I like them. No, you need to be fixed. But really, I like them. You need to be fixed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, come on. Oh. You're right. I didn't even think that the cyborg stuff was filler until now, but you are absolutely right. Yeah. Pretty bad when the entire episode is just filler. (laughs) Yeah, it's honestly like two B stories crammed together, and they forgot to write the lead story. Yeah. Uh, Because because there's no real 
epic fight at the end. It's mm-hmm. just Mumbo is kind of just take he, his wand gets snatched out of his hand, broken, and that's it. <laughs> He's gone. And then Fix It just overloads his circuits. Uh, and he's done. Yeah. Yeah. And then Cyborg's all like, oh, I'll help you become human again. And then they're just at the park playing. Like, yeah. what happened to your promise, dumbass? You know? Yeah, Fix It never comes back either. No, he does <laughs> Ever. Oh, this is bad. <laughs> Mumbo. God. He's just a joke. I mean, squirting water at Cyborg makes the batteries fall off. I mean, yeah, it's magic, and it's a heavy stream of water, but come on. And Raven gets buried under a bunch of stuffed bunnies. Oh, it's funny because they're stuffed fluffy bunnies. Eh. No, no. Wait, is Mumbo the one that comes back in, oh, what's that episode called? The one where Raven does get turned into a rabbit? I think that's a Mumbo uh, episode, yeah, too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, so, again, I'm not speaking about those people. Maybe they're good. I don't know. But here, no, no, no. And I, I need to correct myself. Earlier I said that Slade was in the credits of some episode. It was actually this one. I don't oh, know. okay. I don't know how I got those mixed up in these in my notes here, but yeah. whatever. This was the one. Yeah. So I had to fix my, uh, my mistake there. Okay. Um, there was something I did like there. Mumbo making a passage through the brick wall was, I think, anyway, a reference to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, okay. I wouldn't know. I've never read them, so. Um, like, who another, does that? Does Harry do that? Does a villain do that? That was, um, God, I always forget his name. Uh, the big guy who's, who's always, who's always Harry's friend out in the forest. I, it's been so long since I've seen this, the, uh, Dumbledore? No, 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 no. It's, uh, God, what the fuck is, it's his big, it's almost like a giant. He's like eight. Eight and a half, nine feet tall. Oh, okay. But he's not a wizard, I don't think. Oh. He's not a he's not one of the Hogwarts like main wizards. Oh. Anyway, but I think that's what it was. I just see, I remember that scene where they, he makes a passageway through a brick wall into another town. Another thing I will give this episode, I love the animation in that fight in the dark down there with the Titans and the the robots. That was kind of cool. Yeah. But I already mentioned the mustard bit because <laughs> it's just like Cyborg's like uh, Star. That's mustard. <laughs> Do you have any more? Yeah. Isn't she like hugging like a giant bottle yeah. of it too? And she's, and she's all rubbing her cheek up against yeah. it like a cat. It's just like, and all the hearts are like pouring out of her cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I'll give this episode is the big reveal that what's his face wants to replace the human components of Cyborg and we see all the metal parts and then we cut to what we later learn is a dream sequence where Cyborg is no longer Cyborg. He's just a robot. And then he smashes the mirror, and then he wakes up, and then, you know, the guy is operating on him. You know, that was kind of a cool little sequence. And it, it kind of shows you the inner workings of Cyborg's head. You know, he, he probably is really worried. I mean, he is probably like 75, 80% robot. You know, so he's got to be worried about, you know, his actual human parts. Yep. You know, he doesn't want to become a full-on robot. Um so without getting too deep into the character, they did a good enough job getting deep enough. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, that was the only positive note I wrote down. Um, something I will mention is, did you notice that Robin's mask comes off? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I did. Cyborg- Just a, it's a split-second blink-and-you-miss-it thing, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, when Cyborg, you know, he's got the battery pack on, and he pulls them down into the ditch in the junkyard... He gets pulled and the mask stays and we see, I mean, we don't see like Robin's like pupiled eyes. They're just big old anime eyes, you know, 
But still, I was like, oh, interesting. Because I think everybody cites, I want to say Trouble in Tokyo is the first time we see him without his mask. Because he takes the mask off and then puts sunglasses on, if I recall. But no, it, it happens here. Uh, you know what? I will give this episode something else. I like the stuff with the little kid and how at the end, Cyborg finally agrees. Yeah, we are alike, but it's not that pointing to the kid's hand that makes us similar. It's the stuff attached to that that makes us similar. Yeah. That was a good message. Because I don't know if they were going for it, but maybe they were. And that's... I think it was a subtle way of, I don't know, getting like an anti-racist message in, you know, because of course Cyborg's black and this kid was white, you know what I'm saying? But he's like, look, we're, we're all the same. No matter, no matter who we are, where we come from, we really are all the same, and let's just kind of get along. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe I'm looking for a hippy-dippy, let's-all-hug message. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I am. But that's, that's just kind of what I always see when I, uh, well, see this episode especially that part of it so there we go hagrid that was the harry potter character yay yay <laughs> randomness what is your deal first you nuke breakfast then finally laugh at my jokes then you're all weepy and now you're a marine make up your mind who are you i'm raven <gasps> happy timid brave you forgot dopey <laughs> Different sides of Raven's personality. We're not in Raven's home. We're in her head. And I want you out. The mirror you found is for meditation. It's a portal into my mind, not a toy! <laughs> my bad. You have to go. Now. Hold up. What's going on here? Last night, something got loose. Something bad. Oh, no, you don't. I've had it with this mystery girl routine. I want to know exactly what we're talking about here. Hatred shall rule. Let's just say I have issues with my father. So the last episode we're going to talk about today is Nevermore. In this one, the rapist, known as Dr. Light, though, of course, he's not a rapist in this cartoon. Brad and Meltzer, fuck you. Anyways, in this one, Dr. Light, he's doing his Dr. Lightian things. Well, except the rape. You know, he's, I don't even remember what he's doing. He's just fucking around. Oh, wait, I didn't mean that. <laughs> Anyways, you know, he's, you know, he's actually taking on the team. Throwing out horrible puns after every attack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, my God. Yeah. And uh, at one point, he really pisses off Raven, and uh, she she lets loose on him, and like she starts dragging him into his his cloak. Prior to this, he says, "What's wrong, little girl? Afraid of the light or something like that?" And as she's dragging him in, she's like, "What's wrong, little man? Afraid of the dark?" And uh, when the team is able to convince her to let light out, his costume's destroyed. He's actually turned all gray. And they're like, what the hell is wrong with you? And she just, like, growls at all of them and walks away. Like, the next day, if I recall, Beast Boy's making breakfast. 
Um, it's like tofu eggs and soy milk and, of course... <laughs> tofu bacon. <laughs> yeah. C- Cyborg ain't having that shit, you know? <laughs> He's a red meat kind of guy. You know? This ain't even real milk! Um well, anyways, he tries to give some, the, the Beast Boy, that, that is, tries to give some to Raven. She just wants herbal tea. And he's, Beast Boy's really just trying to be nice. He's just trying to cheer up, and she snaps at him. The eggs explode all over, eggs in quotes, explode all over Beast Boy's face. She walks away, and Robin's like, you really should apologize to her. And Beast Boy's like, I didn't do anything. I was trying to cheer her up, and she yelled at me. Beast Boy, he does walk up to Raven's room. He, like, does, like, one very quiet knock on the door, and he's like, oh, I guess she's not home. And uh, when he turns around, he crashes into Cyborg, and uh, Cyborg uh, is like, no, 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 you got to knock harder. Cyborg knocks on the door, but it falls off its hinge. Uh, they they stick their heads in. They can't find Raven. So they start going in there, and uh, Cyborg's all like, look, we really shouldn't be in here. Raven never lets anybody into her room. Uh, Beast Boy starts snooping around. He finds a mirror, and uh, it... He, he he notices like a pimple or something, and he goes to like pop it, and uh, this causes him to get sucked into the mirror. Uh, before he's fully in there, Cyborg tries to grab a hold of him to pull him out, but he gets sucked in there too. They are then transplanted to a realm that they think might be her home dimension. So it should be noted that this is the first time that it's actually said that she's not human. Mm-hmm. Up to this point, you didn't. You, you just might have thought that she was just, uh, and I'm putting this in quotes, people, like the weird, creepy girl. But now you're like, oh shit, she really is some sort of demon. They're walking around, and they run into Raven, who's in a pink cloak. And she's giggling at Beast Boy's jokes, and she says she <laughs> thought he was always funny. And he's like, what? <laughs> like, uh, Raven, is that you, really? And she's like, yeah, buddy, come on, you know. So, uh, what do you call it? They start walking around. I don't remember what the fuck happens. At some point, she disappears, and... uh, No, 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 okay, yeah, what happens is uh, Starfire and Robin, who are still in the tower, they go up to the roof, and they see Starfire... Or, they see Raven meditating, and uh, they're like, are you okay? And she giggles. She has this giggling outburst, and she stops herself, and she's like, uh, I gotta go. Um, So she heads back to her room. In the meantime... BB and Cyborg, they're walking around, they run across uh, Raven again. This time she's wearing a very drab, a very gray cloak, and uh, she's just very sad. And uh, they're like, you know, can can you get us out of here? And she's like, yeah, but, you know, you're not going to like me by the end of it. And this giant maze pops up, and, you know, she helps them through the maze. And when they get to the end of it, they see this uh, these two statues that form into one, and uh, they have to fight it, and she's like, I told you you wouldn't like me by the time we got to the end of this maze, and then she disappears. Do they take, no, they, they don't take the statue down. Raven pops up again in, like, green, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, later on, Beast Boy says this is her, like, her uh, uh, marine persona or something, because this thing just kicks the shit out of everything. She's the brave part. Right, exactly. Persona. Exactly, and at this point, we realize exactly what James just said, that these are... Uh, the different sides of Raven's persona. We've got the the very meek, the very timid side. That's, you know, the gray one. We've got the one who actually does sort of like Beast Boy's jokes. That's the pink one. And we've got the brave one who's the green. And Cyborg's like, oh, we're not in Raven's home dimension. We're in her head. Oh, no. Um, at that point, the real Raven shows up. And she's like, get the fuck out of my head. <laughs> and they're like, we're trying to. Shut up. And... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, she, you know, she tries to get them to leave because she says that something happened 
that when she was fighting Dr. Light, the darks, like something was released, basically. And uh, as she's trying to get them to go, who should pop up but Trigon? Yeah! Yeah! And, uh, you know, they, they uh, Raven starts to take him on. She's putting a force bubble around uh, herself and her friends. And uh, she, she actually throws them towards the exit, but they won't leave. And they help her try to beat up Trigon. They take him down. But uh, uh, at some point, he starts to come back, and they're hiding, and Trigon's just destroying the shit out of everything. And Cyborg's like, you know, we need you to get those other aspects of your personality over here so we can take them on. And she's like, but we can't do it individually. And he's like, no, not individually. You basically need to join all those uh, sides of you together to take this guy down. So Raven summons uh, the three that we already saw and more. There's one in yellow who's got some, like, geeky glasses on. Um, there's an orange one. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them that we just see. Uh, doesn't even one of them show up and pick its nose? Is that the orange one? Yeah, that's the rude, <laughs> yeah. kind of lazy part of her personality. Yeah. And uh, Raven and the other Ravens, they all fly up into the air. And uh, we don't quite see what happens right away. But as Trigon's destroying stuff... Raven in white uh, pops up beyond, behind Trigon, starts blasting him, uh, is able to take him down, but when Trigon, and I'm going to put this in quotes, uh, is, is last seen, we actually see it's Raven in a red cloak. It's her anger that uh, they've actually been fighting and not the real Trigon. But earlier on, she does say that she has some pretty bad daddy issues. So, of course, yeah. her anger manifests itself in the form of her father. Um, let's see, she's like, you guys stay behind, and Beast Boy's, or maybe it was Cyborg, but one of them's like, yeah, we're friends, duh. So, uh, they all get out of their head, or get out of her head, and it should be said, throughout the entire episode, Starfire's been bugging bugging Robin to go check on Raven. Can we go to her room to make sure she's okay? No. Now? No. Now? No. And then by the end of the episode, like, Robin's using all his strength just to stop Starfire from just casually knocking on the door. (laughs) Yep. I thought that was a pretty funny way to show just how powerful Starfire is. Because, again, she's just trying to knock. She's not doing anything, you know? And uh, at that point, the door opens, and the three other Titans, they come out. And uh, uh, one of them suggests breakfast, and they're like, oh, maybe tea's just fine. And Raven's like, no, breakfast would be good. And, uh, you know, she calls them her friends. Beast Boy runs off to make some breakfast. Cyborg gives chase. He's like, nuh-uh, we're having real eggs. And uh, that's pretty much just where this one ends, right? I think so, yeah. So what were you thinking? I love this episode. Yeah, this is a really good one. So much. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I, I just love every second of this episode. Beast Boy's reactions to everything alone are worth watching this episode. Just his facial expressions after everything that each Raven persona mm-hmm. does to him or says to him. and I mean, then you get the Raven personalities thrown in there. It's just stupidly fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I uh, should note, this is the first episode with the Japanese opening theme. I will check off that note. Thank you. It really, just from the start, this episode is just pure badass, because Raven totally, totally fucks up Dr. Light. Oh, yeah, big time. I dare say that might scare some kids Yeah, that watch this. Because doesn't she have the four red yeah, eyes? Yeah, she's got the four, four demonic eyes, yeah. And Raven has a coffin in her room. Ooh, I didn't notice that, really. Yeah, oh. it, it sure looked like one anyway. I don't think it was like a nightstand or anything, but it, it really did. It looked like a coffin. <laughs> I, and I like how they show what's going on inside her head is outwardly affecting her temperament and <laughs> actions in the outside world. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I gotta go. I, I fucking love this episode. I'm just gonna keep gushing. So, what do you think? No, I love this one too. I think this was the best way for us to get to know Raven was to legitimately get into her head. And I think what this episode is doing is two things. One, it's letting kids know that it's okay to be angry sometimes, that it's okay to be grumpy, because there's these other sides of your personality. You know, and we see them with Raven. Does she usually show the grumpy, withdrawn side? Yes, she does. But we now know that deep inside her, there is the aspect that finds Beast Boy funny. There is the aspect that's rude, like Beast Boy and, and uh, Cyborg can be sometimes. There's the nerdier side, the brave side. We see all of that. The second thing I think this episode is doing is, and I'm seriously not making a joke here, I'm meaning this seriously, is I think it's a very subtle message to young girls about PMS. Because I really want to think that Raven's initial outburst and her attitude throughout this whole one is maybe her having her period. And it's just a message to little girls saying, you know what, when that time comes, yeah, you might get grumpy, but that's okay. Your friends are still there for you. The reason I think that's what they're doing in this episode is because they would tackle, you know, female issues like this in other episodes. There's the one where Starfire gets what she thinks is a giant zit. And she just wants to run away from society and she flies off into space. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. So again, they were dealing with issues that are very close to uh, their female viewership. Um, so, you know, and that one is much more overt in what they're doing because she's got a giant fucking zit coming out of her head. Of course, uh-huh. it turns out not to be a zit, but that's what she thinks it is. Um, and this one's much more subtle. And again, maybe I'm reading into it, but that is what I'm reading into it. What do you think about that? Do you think that's what they're going for? I couldn't tell you, but that's a great way to interpret it. I, I'm speechless, really. That's awesome. I guess I'll just my my next thing that I'll say is the animation in this episode is by far the best of these six. Yeah, yeah, it is really not good. not even remotely close. Yeah, with the, with the I was gonna say the space stuff, but the other dimension stuff in Raven's head that looked really cool. The animation on the fights and the energy beams and Trigon and mm-hmm. really everything just spot on the whole time. I love the little the little ravens that Beast Boy thinks are cute, and they're all like, "Turn back, turn, turn back. back!" And then they turn into turn just these back. really malicious birds. <laughs> that was some good stuff. This episode features probably one of my favorite Starfire lines. Many of your earthly ways are still strange to me, but that was just plain freaky, correct? <laughs> and I think that's when Raven cracked up, right? Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. That was um, after when she walked. Oh, oh yeah, I'm but, talking about just that scene. Right? Yeah, it was yeah, after. Yeah. yeah, after she cracked up and walked away. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and Robin, he doesn't respond, but he kind of gives her a look like, "Yeah, <laughs> that uh-huh. was weird." <laughs> that wasn't my my favorite line. Was I think this might be where air fresheners come from? Oh yeah, I didn't mention that part. You know, when they're in Raven's <laughs> head, of course, they go through some gateway and they end up into some like it looks like Candyland or something, and there's a strawberry <laughs> floating through the sky. <laughs> It's Raven's happy place. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That is a good line. Yeah. Um, there is a slight continuity problem with the episode Go in this one, though. In this one, Beast Boy says she's never once laughed at any of my jokes. But in Go, she actually does laugh at one of Beast Boy's jokes. Hmm. 
And, of course, that's the origin story. So maybe he was just exaggerating, and he had just, because she always, you know, gives him a dirty look whenever he tells a joke. He forgot that she legit laughed at one. You can rationalize it, you know? Yeah. You can yeah. claim he was exaggerating. But if you want to get very strict about it, continuity-wise, it's not accurate. But, again, that that that's a nitpick. Not, not from my angle. I'm just saying, because, again, I can rationalize it. But some, if anybody was like a stickler about continuity, I would claim it was a nitpick. So yeah, um, I think the last thing I want to say about this one, and she'll come back one more time, is I really like White Raven. Yes, I love that design, and I had wished, I really, really wished that after the end, not the end of this episode, but the three part, the end, she had stayed in the white costume for that fifth season where she had maybe come to terms with who she is and she was a little more at peace with herself, you know? And she could have switched back and forth. They could have done a Phoenix thing with her where, like, in the old X-Men comics, sometimes, you know, Jean would be in her green Phoenix outfit. Sometimes it would be red. It depended on what the Phoenix Force was feeling, if I remember correctly. And that's that's what they could have done there. But I like the fact that we first see it in this one. Because, again, it was all the sides of her personality merged into one giving her balance, you know, so... Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was just... And it's a great design. It just really is. Absolutely. So uh, what else do you want to say about this one? Because I've kind of been going off, and, you well, know, you've got to have some notes. I've, I've said them all. I've gushed and gushed and gushed, and I, I, I'm I struggling to think of any problem with this episode, and I just can't, I can't think of a single one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you just want to score all these, then? Sure. Okay. <laughs> going back to the start. Divide and Conquer. I'm going to give this a seven because it, again, we it accomplished what it set out to do, but it's certainly not worthy of an eight because if to get an eight, in, at least in my eyes, it has to be really enjoyable, one you just watch all the time, and but it is still a very good way to open the series. Mm-hmm. I agree, but I am going to give that one a six. Sisters. Sisters, not one of my favorites. I actually had this at a five, and I bumped it up to a six. I'm also going to give that a six. Final exam. This one I had as low as a four when I was originally typing up my notes, but I'll bump it up to a five. I just, I have a lot of problems with it. But it, this is going to be one I think that I come back to on our retrospective. Okay. Again, I'm giving it a six. I'm pretty consistent with these. <laughs> Forces of nature. Five. You know, I actually wrote down a seven for this one. Yeah, and I did like this one more than you, so I'll stick with the seven there. Okay, the some of his parts. Oh God, <laughs> two. Yeah, I'll go with two. <laughs> you know what's funny? I initially wrote a six. I crossed that out. Wrote a five while we were talking. Crossed that out. Wrote a four while we were talking. I'm crossing that four out again, and I'm writing down a three. <laughs> I just could not settle on a score for that one. Uh, and I guess that leads us to Nevermore. It's going to be kind of weird, but I'm giving it a 10. Wow, awesome. I've got an 8 written down, and I'm trying to think if I should give it a higher score than that. You know what? I'm going to give this an 8 for now, but this might be one that I revisit down the line. Yeah, I mean, I just I rationalize it because, like I said, I can't think of a single problem with the episode. Uh-huh. It, it's great in terms of character development, animation, just Really, I think it's everything I could ever ask for in a Raven episode. Raven, you okay? We stopped by your room and the door's been knocked down. <laughs> Need to be alone. 
Many of your earthly ways are still strange to me, but that was just plain freaky, correct? Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Our voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP0. 731-937-9370. And don't forget about our store, where you can buy a shirt, which can be found at earth2.net slash store. That's earth-number2.net slash store. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss six more episodes of Teen Titans. Those being Switched, Deep Six, Masks, Mad Mod, Car Trouble, and Apprentice. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Mm-hmm.